Hi, this is uh, Joanne Kelly. I'm with Sci-Fi's Warehouse 13, and welcome to the TV Times 3 podcast. We sit glued to the TV set all night, and every night, why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright. We got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple Welcome to TV Times 3, episode 222. On this episode, we've got some news, and then we'll be discussing recent episodes of Resurrection, Shameless, uh, the season finale, uh, Crisis, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and The Hundred. Plus, we have some recommendations at the end. You can find the full show notes with start times for each segment at tvtimes3.com slash 222. I'm Jason the TVaholic from tvaholic.com, and this week I have joining me... Hi, I'm Danielle at DanielleTBD on Twitter. And my name is Rem. I'm from the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast at scifimoviepodcast.com. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast this week. Yeah, pleasure. Here. And with that, we'll jump right into the news. First up, A&E has renewed Bates Motel for a third season. Uh, Either of you watching Bates Motel? I try. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, I'll just, it's the kind of show that on paper is, is everything I love. And yet week after week, I fall asleep in the middle of it. And I don't know why. So I'm I'm still watching it. It just usually takes like two tries. <laughs> is that the is that the you're you're watching it and then you sort of wake up and you realize, wait a second, yeah, it's, I gotta rewind and you rewind backwards <laughs> through to where the last thing you remember and then you start watching again. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I you know, there's a couple of stories that I really want to enjoy, and I just, for some reason, I don't know what it is. I just feel like it's a little slower than I need it to be to hold my attention, I guess, at the end of a very long Monday. <laughs> yes, it's one of those mini Monday shows. Yes. How about you, Rim? It seems like a good idea. When I heard about the show coming out and Carlton Cuse was uh, producing it, who was one of the guys behind Lost, I thought, this looks interesting. And then I completely forgot all about it. And <laughs> and I keep thinking, oh, right, Bates Motel, I should give that a try. But, you, you know, when I look at what's on the PVR right now, I've got I've got quite a few other things to get to. And it seems like something I'd like to get around to, but I just haven't made the time for it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the shows that uh, I th- I didn't. I don't even think I. If I'm, I didn't even watch the first episode. I think I don't even think I've even watched it. It's one of those shows that I didn't even get to, as even trying it out, which is, I usually at least watch the pilots of most, you know, scripted shows, that come out, and, and it's just getting even too hard to do that any yeah. almost mm-hmm. anymore, to even just sample the first uh, episode, and, not normally in my wheelhouse for the things I types of shows that I would normally like so it wasn't uh, even though and I hear both sides like pe- some people that just like really love it and some people that's like eh. yeah and then some people that just like really love it mostly because of there's like a couple like really good performances but the rest of the show is kind of meh you know yeah I will say if you're gonna give it a shot it might be worth just taking three or four episodes and sitting down and watching them in a chunk one day just binge watching it because It is a slower moving show. Not a lot happens in every episode. And so you can walk out of an episode and kind of feel like you're waiting for the next one because nothing happened. But the performances are great. And so you kind of I feel like you kind of notice that less when they're all in one big chunk because it just feels like, oh, all these plot points happened and you're not thinking about, well, in episode two, we were really only doing the setup for what's happening. 
I know a couple of people that watch some shows uh, sped up on a <laughs> where they get they're watching what would normally take you forty five minutes without you know fast forwarding through the commercials. They watch it in like a half an hour. So maybe this is a type of show for that. It could really speed speed things along. Is that the same way as somebody listening to a podcast at, at one and a half times or two, two times? It speeds the video and the dialogue up? Well, it kind of – yeah, it speeds the – it gives you most – you get like – I guess you get like most of the dialogue, but it's cutting parts of the video out, and it's but it's giving you the, the dialogue faster. I'm not exactly sure how it works or what uh, what devices they're using, but for me – if I have to watch a show at hyperspeed <laughs> just to be able to get in yeah. all the shows I want to watch, then uh, maybe I should drop a few things. Yeah. Yeah, because are you – at that point, you have to ask yourself, am I really enjoying this exactly. or am I plowing through these things so fast that I can be up to date? And it, it seems like if I've got to go through it that fast, I'm not really taking time to enjoy what's going on on the screen. Yeah, I, th- right. I, I think mm-hmm. so too, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, next up, which uh, seems to be a thing that happens a lot here recently, a show that was canceled has been brought back, uh, but this time by uh, another, well, another network in the family. Uh, so Centric has revived the show Single Ladies, which was canceled after three seasons by VH1, and it'll be back for a fourth season. As I said when we mentioned the cancellation in the news i didn't even know this was a show that existed until it was canceled (laughs) (laughs) but also not exactly the target market for the show but you know if you were a fan of the show it's going to be back maybe with some of the same cast maybe with different people but uh, but it'll be back it just seems to be an interesting phenomenon here recently with like drop dead diva which just started back up for its final season got canceled after four but it's now going into sixth season which is going to be its last there's just been a bunch of shows that get canceled and brought back it's not unlike resurrection which we'll be talking about (laughs) a a little bit later on (laughs) hey i wonder do you think maybe there's a tendency for shows to be brought back because uh we have better access to the fan base you know the same thing as veronica mars where that went away then it came back with a movie is is it the fans that are rising up and saying hey we want more of this which is why these shows are coming back well i think that you can in this case yeah i don't know if it's in this case but i think in some cases that is you get you get some you get some sense from you know social media and twitter and stuff like that 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 there are people out there that are interested in these things and you can see it without they're having to be like some sort of a giant mail-in campaign or something where everybody's sending, say, like nuts to CBS mm, for like okay. Jericho or something like that. <laughs> so that you can you can see the the fan base, what the fan base is saying out there or get some feedback, I guess, easier than uh, you could before. But, yeah, I'm not sure about a show like this. uh whether there was – I don't know if there was an outcry that I recall of for this one. Well, I do think that – I mean for VH1, it, it was a rare thing to have a scripted show at all. And this was a well-received show for them. But I feel like this just came down to Centric was a rebrand and they needed something that they knew had a built-in audience so that when they you know, come out as the new Centric basically from what they used to be, um, they would have decent numbers. 
Yeah. So they go back to something that they know they've already had a bit of success with and, right. and try to and try to get it launched again with a with an established audience. Right. I mean, it kind of just feels like it's risky to do original programming when nobody has heard of you or your original programming. But at least here they've heard of the show. And I guess it is a show that fits what the what centric is. Oh, yeah. Is going for, you know, the the demographic that they're going for. So. So maybe it'll work out for him, but again, uh, that'll that'll be back. Next up in pretty impressive amount of time, being a short amount of time, uh, CBS got the the news that David Letterman is retiring, and then pretty quickly, who his replacement was going to be, which is uh, Stephen Colbert, is set to take over uh, The Late Show. When David Letterman retires at some point in 2015, I love the... I love that type of retirement news. I'm going to retire in hey, what in what could be about sometime. 20 months, <laughs> somewhere yeah, in the next 20 months. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a surprise, but I think a pleasant surprise. I'd, I've been a Letterman fan for so many years and a Colbert fan, too. So this seems to me like a kind of a marriage made in heaven. And the thing I'm really curious about is after watching Colbert as his character, you know, the staunch conservative Republican guy, you know, I only have ever seen him as that. So to see him now presumably shedding that, is he going to shed the whole Republican thing and become just a normal guy again? Well, he said that he he won't be doing his Colbert persona on the show, but I, you know, I feel like a good amount of his Colbert persona might still be his brand of humor, <laughs> like yeah, humor may you know I, I don't know how different it will be. Like you, I haven't really seen him outside of it either. Um, but from what I understand, I mean, he's had he had a very religious upbringing, and I think he still is pretty religious. So I don't know how conservative he will fall when it's just him, as especially you know compared to a lot of the other late night guys. Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting thing when what you do associate him with is while it's a talk show. It's a talk show that's he's playing a character as right. not he's not doing like John Stewart is John Stewart. He's mm-hmm. not playing some version of John Stewart uh, uh you know that's that's pretty much him and his style of humor. And so yeah, how much of it is him? How much is the character and how much is the character that's now become him because he's done it so right? long? You know, like, <laughs> like where does where 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 do the two uh, end? That is the interesting thing about it, though, is that you can't really, you know, even when he was, uh, you know, a correspondent on the Daily Show or something else, he was still playing various types of characters, mm-hmm. and you you can't really point to anything where, except for maybe the occasional time where he's been on the other side on a talk show or something like that, that he's maybe been sort of himself Mm -hmm. uh, that you've been able to see. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out. I'll certainly watch this. I I like Colbert loved Letterman and I'll be curious to see what other side of Stephen Colbert that we're going to see if he did it with the, the conservative um, model that he used previously. I think that could be fun for a while, but I think I think we're going to have to expect that the uh, that his persona is going to have to drop away, and I'm really curious to see exactly who that person is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it'll definitely be interesting, but I think it also fits with what you know, like Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon are doing. That late night is becoming more geared towards the short bit that you can 
put on YouTube the next yeah. day. Mm-hmm. And I think that based on Colbert's past and his style of humor and stuff that he'll be able to fit into uh, that. It'll also be able to see interesting, like what types of changes or differences will he bring to, you know, a late night show or will he just try and do the same type of, you know, late night show, come out, give a, a monologue, then do a couple of bits, have some guests, you know, mm-hmm. will he change, will he try and change that up uh, some, but one of the most interesting things to me is that CBS made the decision so quickly that there wasn't this months and months of, of you know, articles and this person is up for it or this person wants it or all, all that type of stuff. They just, they just did it and it's it's over with and this is what's coming. <laughs> I think that that is pretty impressive, uh, considering recent you know sort of late night. Uh, shenanigans when people are leaving or coming back to shows. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, maybe they had Stephen Colbert in mind for the longest time, and maybe they saw an opening to get him on board as quickly as possible. Yeah, hard, it's hard to say, to, to see what the uh, what the exit strategy of Letterman is going to be like sometime in 2015, and then when Colbert is going to kick in. Um, it sounds like they probably wanted to get Colbert on for the longest time and now see an opportunity to do that. That'll be interesting to see sometime in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, uh, HBO in a sort of a no-brainer, like, duh, yeah. <laughs> news <laughs> announced that they've renewed Game of Thrones for a fifth and a sixth season. Uh, I mean, it's pretty likely that they could have just said, you know, for seven seasons or eight seasons or since they're sort of talking about going seven or eight seasons to finish it off. But it seems uh, another thing that seems to be popular, other than bringing shows back from the dead, is renewing shows for multiple seasons. The gods uh, be good. <laughs> it, it, <Yeah>. seems, <laughs> it seems to be right now with the hit shows getting two and three season renewals. Well, I think you're right. This is a, this is a complete no-brainer. And what I'm really liking about this, besides Game of Thrones being my favorite show right now, is that they've got a finite timeline. You know, George has got, what, uh, another book to write. So the series of books, if I understand correctly, because I haven't read the book series, is seven. So it looks like they probably would be doing the TV series in, what, eight seasons, maybe nine if they split up another book. So I love the idea that they're going to be uh, continuing this on, and, and you're, you're right, Jason. It's a no-brainer that they're going to they're going yeah. to finish this series. You've got to finish this series. The interesting thing to me about Game of Thrones going forward here is right now, uh, with the number of you know, with the five books that are out, as the stories are mostly you know pretty closely following things that happen in the books, is that the books are spoilery for the TV show. Mm-hmm. And based on his writing speed, that there's the possibility that they could end up getting to the end of the show before he actually finishes the last book. And since he's talked to them and told them where all the characters are going, they could you could actually end up with a TV show that becomes now spoilery for the final book. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a reversal there, huh? <laughs> Which I wonder, though. I mean, I wonder if they'll just get to a point where they may wait. You know, they they they've renewed the show, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have to air it quickly. They could, yeah, or, yeah they could delay filming or or whatever to to wait. Yeah, for. just so that it maybe matches up a little bit better with the book because not that they I think they're worried about spoiling things for the book but just to have a, a closer partnership with him 
I don't I don't know how often that's ever been done, but I, I feel like especially in today's landscape and the way that T, uh, HBO specifically will produce their shows, I feel like they could easily do that. I mean, fans might get upset because, you know, obviously we all want everything immediately. <laughs> yeah, especially when but, you're talking 10-episode seasons. It's a really right. long time. Right, but yeah, I mean, also, already. you know it's going to be coming and you know that it's going to look amazing when it comes. So maybe it's just that you wait a little bit extra to make sure that it's perfect rather than – well, we're going to wrap things up and then maybe that book comes out and we wish that we had done things slightly differently. That's a good question. And I would be really sad if it meant that I had to wait you know, more than another 10 and a half months right. for, <laughs> for the next season. But I was, I was kind of wondering about the way, the way George is writing this now. And now he's, I'm sure, has a very good idea of how the show is being produced. I kind of wonder, do you think the writing style and, and what he puts into the books might actually now be affected by things like questions he might ask, um, such as, hey, you know, um, when it comes time for them to do the TV series, are they going to be able to, to do this on film the way that I'm doing it in the book? So maybe he might change the way he writes in the book. Do you think that might be a possibility? I mean, I feel like as a writer, you probably always have those questions, but I feel like you kind of have to say it doesn't matter. And just tell the story you want to tell, you know, because they'll find a way to adapt it. That's how mm-hmm. it's worked for, for years. I mean, thing, look at Shakespeare. <laughs> you yeah. know, that was written hundreds of years ago and it still gets <laughs> adapted into new ways. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like myself as a writer, I wouldn't want to be burdened with that. I feel like that's when if you start writing differently because of something like another medium, telling the story or something like, oh, you know, the fans responded well to this on screen, so I want to do something similar, that that's when you don't start telling your pure story anymore. And it's just too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about what the what the execs at HBO are going to be wanting to see. And you're going to think, hey, do I write this particular bit because they might not be able to build right. a set and large I mean, enough for it. And I mean, that's television writing in general is half the time you write a pilot script and then you get notes back from the network and they say, well, we'll make this show if and you always have to grapple with, well, am I willing to make that change? How much does that change my story versus how much of it is just for, you know, the budget, maybe it, we don't need that helicopter shot or whatever, but mm. I don't know. I feel like when he's he wrote these books, he, you know, started writing them not knowing they were going to become a TV show. So to now change the way he's writing the last books because of the TV show, I would be very sad if that was true. Yeah. At this point, I think that fans of the book series would just like the sixth one to come out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking about the seventh one. Just get the sixth one out already. And then, right. and then we can start talking about when are you going to get number seven done. So is it safe to say that uh, HBO is going to be on board for however many more seasons are necessary? They've signed on for the fifth and sixth. Oh, safe yeah, to say imagine. seven and probably eight will be a no-brainer as well. I can't imagine a universe where they wouldn't. I, it's, it does so well for them, and it's, it's such a strong property. Yeah, I, I think they'll. I think it'll be one of those shows where it's like, you know what? Kind of the, the Larry David with Curb thing. It, when, it, when it all works out, we're going to air it, whenever that may be. Yeah. Mm. I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could 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 be like like that as well. Just uh, we'll just we'll just keep doing it until we get we'll make that decision in a couple of years <laughs> when, right, right. When, when we get when we get there, and then <laughs> we'll see where things really are at. Mm-hmm. All right. Lastly, on the news list, uh, NBC announced uh, something uh, called a Comedy Playground, 
Uh, it's their a new sort of initiative to try and get the public to submit new show ideas, uh, comedy-wise. I don't know. Sounds interesting to me. But it sounded interesting to me, especially since Danielle was going to be on the podcast this week, and I wanted to know what you thought about what they were doing. Uh, well, that that was a very um, ominous lead-in. <laughs> now I want to know why you want to know my thoughts, but okay. Um, well, just based on uh, you were a finalist in the oh. ATX Festival for that competition last last year, and you know you talked about writing for TV and stuff like that a lot, so I thought this would be something in your wheelhouse. That yeah, well, be... in, in that respect, I will say that I, I got very excited just by what doors it could potentially open. Of course, we have to see if it actually does what they want it to do. And I think if you actually go on their website and you read their rules and their frequently asked questions section, you can tell that they're being vague because they're still not sure how a lot of it's going to work. <laughs> and, you know, they're ironing it out. Um, but what I really, what I really do like about it is that it by design it's supposed to give people who don't necessarily have a chance maybe they don't have an agent so that they can't pitch anybody because you can't give unsolicited pitches nobody will hear them um it gives them an opportunity to get in front of people like Amy Poehler Aziz Ansari Adam McKay um all the you know they have a, a very large advisory board who ultimately will be uh voting on the best pitches to then turn into pilots and what I liked was, you know, people freak out and they say, well, if you open this up to amateurs, you're going to get a bunch of crap. And I don't necessarily think that's true because when you get to the finalist stage, the 10 pilots that they choose to put into production, A, the writer has to be in good standing with the WGA. So you don't have to already be a member, but you have to be professional enough that your stuff is ba- this, that this basically will get you entrance into it. So you can't just be you know, scribbling stuff down on a napkin and pitching a great idea. You actually have to prove you can execute it. Um, And then B, when they produce the pilot, it's going to be a union pilot. So the final product will look as good as whatever they've ordered, you know, for upfronts. Um, And so it, it takes the unknown voice, but it gives the unknown voice a chance to do something in the Hollywood model. And I think that's where I'm most interested in it because sometimes unknown voices are not right for the Hollywood model. And I think we might actually see that here um, to some extent, but that to me is what's exciting because it's not just about, I want to have a show on NBC. It's about, I want to be a professional writer and I need to see where I'm, where I can best be fit. And maybe the answer is not to get picked up to a network and create a sitcom, but having my stuff looked at by all of these people who a lot of them have their own companies could then say, you know what, you have a good, you have a good style. You have a good voice. You know what you're doing. We want to give you a chance. And I think that it might open up doors where people, they may not get their show picked up, but they may get jobs or they may get, you know, a chance to be in a room and, and learn and get, kind of a mentorship. And that's what I was excited about. I don't know necessarily that the quality will be any better or worse in terms of the shows that people are pitching, because I read all the pilots that get picked up every year. And a lot of times what gets picked up to production that's really strong doesn't always get picked up to series because of a number of network factors. Um, But I just am excited whenever I hear people trying something different, because 
that's, I mean, it's 2014. And if we're just digging from the same well and we're (laughs) using the same trends, I mean, we see all the time, a lot of stuff does not work. And so you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over because it's not working. You're not, it's not going to suddenly be magically better. Let's try something new and see if this is better. It might not be, but it's definitely going to get them a lot of attention just simply for trying. Yeah. I like the idea of it based on it being something different. Yeah. Uh, that, that the whole, uh, you know, definition of insanity is like right, trying exactly. the same thing over and over again and expecting it to be different. So trying something different and expecting it to be different, at least a step in the right direction. And the idea that you have a bunch of sort of non-professional or you're going to get a bunch of crap. Well, you likely are going to get a bunch of crap, but right. there's also That's- the potential of finding stuff that you were never going to find before. Right. Uh, and then on that note also is... Have you seen some of the stuff that does make it to TV? You know, it's like exactly. it's not that the professionals are always doing. That, and that's the thing, because a lot of times you get something that works really well on paper and has a lot of really strong names behind it. And then the final product is is not strong because it's something that's been done a million times or because the people whose names are on the product actually aren't necessarily involved. They just have that executive producer. So things get picked up for the wrong reasons a lot of times is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and it is it is a lot of politics and who you know, but I feel like with this, it, it gives you a chance to crack a door. Um, and I, I honestly got really excited by the fact that it's a pitch video in, instead of just reading a script because a lot of people can take two years and write an amazing pilot script and then – that's it, <laughs> yeah. you know, and not not be able to follow through either with a show Bible or weekly outlines, but also not be able to hold the conversation and explain why their vision is important and what the show is about and basically prove that they can execute it because you're not just writing a script. You're you're almost a showrunner. Definitely an interesting thing. I look forward to seeing more about as NBC tells us more about exactly how it's going to yeah how it's going to work it seems like a good idea did they give any indication as to what they were looking for were they looking for just pilots or did they have a sense of were they asking for a a sense of the storyline or how long it would take to tell a certain story over a number of seasons well it's a you're supposed to submit a two to uh about a two to five minute pitch video for your show so uh, from my experience having pitched shows in the past, I would say that your pitch video has to include not only a pretty well thought out outline of your pilot episode, but then, yeah, all what you just said, just what's to come. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would outline at least the first season, if not two seasons in that pitch video to, to hit on themes, to hit on major plot points, kind of to show why it's relevant. Um, and then they also do want a five to ten minute video of your previous work. So they basically are not they're basically saying we don't want just anybody off the street we want to see that like that you're serious about this you may you may not you're not allowed to actually have had a show on air obviously to apply but let's say you're working as a writer's assistant or you're working as a, a you know a stand-up comedian and you say i've got all these great sketches but nobody's giving me an opportunity to pitch my show you can combine all those sketches into one video and submit that as your previous work. Um, and, they, you know, it doesn't have to be network quality visually. It's mostly the the story and the voice that they're looking for, or so they say. Um, but that, to me, is honestly what's most exciting about it, because that's what's that's what makes a good show, not just that one script. So they, they want 
a new pilot in the sense that they want to know that you have something that they could film and then have the advisory board uh, vote on, but they also want to know that it's not just one episode, that you have an idea for what the show is and that the idea could be carried out should they order it and shoot it in six weeks. Yeah, not that you just have a great idea for something for 22 minutes. Right. <laughs> it has to be something that, you know, could could have longevity because they've commit they say the winners get six episodes um and they it's not it's not limited if they liked it enough they would consider ordering more. But it's also about, you know, the having having something to say and having something to say in 22 minutes is very different from having something to say overall. Over the course of maybe five or maybe five or seven years. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Well, it seems like a good idea. I like the creativity about it. It seems a bit like a creative crowdsourcing plan. Yeah. And if it gives if it gives people who don't have the channels and the connections the ability to get in front of those people uh, with with their stories and with their ideas, I, I think it's great. I think going to uh, to to reach out for more creative ideas. It can only be a winner for them. And, of course, they're probably going to get a lot of stuff they end up tossing in the garbage. But if there are a few diamonds in the rough, yeah. hey. And, I mean, that's that's just pilot season anyway. You always get a lot of crap. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't yeah. really matter where that comes from to a degree as long as where the good stuff comes from comes from a variety of of new voices and, and kind of almost in, in a way the next wave of comedy. Hmm. Yeah, and, and at this rate, NBC needs to try – Anything yeah. different than I mean, even if true. <laughs> I mean, even shows that have been considered good don't even get watched uh, on NBC. So you know, it'll be definitely interesting to see where that that goes over uh, with that new comedy playground idea that NBC has put forth. And with that, that'll do it for the news segment, and we'll move on to the prime time segment. Kind of an interesting uh, group of shows here. Uh, and also from like the last couple weeks is a couple weeks ago, we did like Hannibal and the Americans along with like Brooklyn nine, nine and enlisted, uh, all in the same week. And then last <laughs> week we did like all comedies since wow. there were so many, fin- there were so many season premieres and finales last week. Yeah. And then this week it became, it's sort of, it's all dramas <laughs> of various types, uh, but still, uh, all dramas this week. So, you know. Uh, that's the that's one of the things I like about doing this podcast and the rotating guests is you never know what the the show list is going to end up being based on what everybody is watching. You're always going to get some variety there. That's right. Uh, first up is Resurrection. Uh, season one, episode five, Insomnia is the late, is the last episode. Uh, it aired last Sunday as we're recording this, uh, and. We'll start with uh, you, Danielle. What what did you think of Resurrection? Well, I'll say, I mean, I really love the pilot of Resurrection, and every episode since the pilot, I have liked a little bit less and less. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like it's because it's trying. I, I feel like it's it's not. This is going to sound really strange, but it's not serialized enough. I feel like there's a formula to the way the stories unfold every week. And their cliffhangers aren't really cliffhangers because you know what happened because it happened last week. Like two weeks in a row, they ended an episode on someone new returning and and meeting someone from their past. And and 
I think the show has a disadvantage in my uh, viewing and in my mind because I've read the book and I've also watched the French series that aired on Sundance and I thought both were phenomenal. So it had a lot to live up to, even though and I know I know this isn't um, related to the French series, but just because I love that one so much, I felt like this had a lot to live up to. And this past episode, I felt like set up some things that should be really interesting, but they they're not getting there fast enough. Um, Just the idea of when Caleb uh, was going to be turned over to the feds and like if the feds come and they realize that they've got this guy who returned from the dead on their hands, it becomes a much bigger story. I, that would have made it a much more exciting story. And I understand that they, you know, they want to tell the human side of things and I want them to tell that too. But the human side of things right now is so slow moving that I almost needed something in there to jolt them into acting (laughs) in any, just creating a more active story. And then of course, you know, that got wrapped up so nice and neatly that it doesn't seem like that's going to be a major issue for them the way that it potentially should be the way that people outside of this little community need to know what's happening or the fact that the people in the community who kind of, who know and are kind of dealing with it because we've seen a couple of, of instances uh, like in the church where they don't want certain people around because they don't know what's going on. More of that, just more of the, how are people coping with, you know, people outside of the families? Because obviously the families have a lot of shock and maybe they're a little bit scared, but they're also overwhelmed with a personal connection. So maybe they're letting some of that stuff slide. I want to see the people who aren't letting some of that stuff slide react. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it needs to suddenly turn into an action drama, but I want to see more conflict, even if it is just the emotional conflict of, I don't trust you because your father returned, which I guess we kind of saw with uh, Samara Armstrong losing her job. Um, I don't know. I just I want a lot more from the show than it's currently giving me. It's kind of in an interesting spot in that, Instead of delving into some of the ones that they've already given us, they start giving us more. Yeah. There's, they they feed in more people. And so it, it is sort of slowing down the process of finding uh, the thing out. But I also think that, that you should start to see more reaction other than like uh, moms getting their kids off the field because, mm-hmm. you know, Jacob's playing or or, you know, the church meeting because – uh, because of this, uh, a little more of that. It seems that, especially now that there's multiple people back, it seems that it might have gotten around town a little more, right? Uh, right. And be a little. It, it's starting to feel a little bit like, uh, like under the dome. That there should be yeah. a lot more people, more <laughs> like more worried about this. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Type I mean, of thing. It just, it just feels very repetitive right now, as well. Just because you you know you just said. They're piping in these these new people rather than actually developing the ones that they started with. How about you, Rim? Well, I started off with the show, and I I liked the I liked the um, the premiere of it, but I think as as Danielle said, it's each week seems to be diminishing a little bit, and I and I think you're right. I I think it's got to get moving a little faster, and I, I like how it's examined the ideas of what happens. In the real life consequences and situations of of somebody who's dead who came back to life, that's a pretty heavy idea. So mm-hmm. to see this happen to Jacob, I could see how they would need a full episode, maybe a, two episodes to really digest that. But then suddenly we've got Caleb coming back. Okay, and then 
now I start to think, well, what's going on between Caleb and Jacob that mm-hmm. they both came back from the dead? Oh, wait a second. Rachel's back. Um, okay. Now I'm asking myself, what do Caleb, Rachel, and Jacob have in common? Mm-hmm. So, so now that we've got people coming back almost on a weekly basis, it takes – it takes the power of the situation and the the phenomena and almost diminishes the mystery of it i'm i'm still wondering why they came back and, and when we saw caleb disappear out of his his cell i thought okay that's something different so there's another mystery and and i'm i'm really hoping that they don't go the way of lost with this one <laughs> Because, I, you know, I loved Lost for the first two seasons. And then when, you know, the writer's strike happened and the, the story just started to go all over the map, it, it was really hard to follow. I, I think they've got to keep focused on what they're trying to do as far as a story and tell that story and keep the mystery moving forward. I'm a little concerned that they're going to take the, the mystery of it and try to stretch this out for multiple seasons. And I think people now are becoming very hesitant about those kind of stories that lure them on, lure them on, and then don't pay off. Or maybe the show gets canceled. So, uh, yeah, I think I'd like – I want more payoff now. And if they want me to hold on to the show, if they want me to stay with it as a viewer, I'm going to need more. Yeah, I totally agree. I think part of it, too, is, you know, you said um, what it's doing to these people now that they've returned. And we really haven't spent alone time with the returned characters to see what it's doing. Like, Jacob's a kid, so maybe he doesn't internalize it or think about it that much. But Rachel's character, I am fascinated by. Like, she killed herself and has now awoken in this world that she didn't want to be in. What does that do to you? And she's pregnant. Right. Wow. Well, that I didn't need at all. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but but, the, but to just the idea of, you know, what do, what do you – did you – you didn't want to live the first time. Do you want to live now? Are you trying to – you know, are you trying to leave this world? Like what – do you have regret? Like what is that doing to you as a person? That's an interesting story that I would want to see rather than some of the bigger mystery if they're, if they're choosing to, to tell the human story. But I just feel like they're trying to do a little bit of everything. Mm. And by trying to do a little bit of everything, nothing is being fleshed out fully. And so we're left with questions in every area. And I'm just, I don't even, I, that was like episode five or something and out of a 13 episode season. And I'm not sure I'm getting enough to want to see it through. Do you feel connected to the characters? Yeah, but only because I read the book, and so I feel like a lot of what I feel connected to, I'm projecting <laughs> because I know oh, the story okay. of the book, and I know where it's supposed to go, and whether or not the show is choosing to go there, I don't know. But I'm, I'm kind of giving it a little bit more, some of them a little bit more weight based on the book, and some of them I don't necessarily feel connected to, but I see inklings of there's an interesting story here if they would just take time and tell it. Hmm. Yeah, I think the thing with uh, overarching mysteries or big mysteries in shows is the longer you prolong it, the better the payoff has to be. Yeah. And the harder for that payoff to be that big. Right, yeah. right. Because everyone speculates and everyone figures it out. Or in the case of Lost, they just don't pay off any mysteries at all. <laughs> you know, they, they say, eh. Uh, but I'm more interested in shows that Answering the question brings up more questions, but at least you feel like you're going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly so. I mean, it's it's hard to say you're not getting enough answers in in five episodes, but then also, you know, you got to at least feel like you're heading towards 
uh, an answer or something more than than what's going on. And some of the things in the show have just been a little bit confusing. You're not quite sure how much who knows what. Right. And of, of the people that come back and I I I didn't get I didn't quite get why like why Caleb would like necessarily like murder that guy. Right. I mean, if you I mean, if you really th- sit back and think about it, it's not that <laughs> yeah, he stole your stuff, but after you died you know, it's like, you know, it's not like yeah. you yeah. think they, that could be forgiven. Maybe. I, I, mean, I think it's I think it's partially that they come back changed, but I don't know that they're not. It doesn't feel like the show is trying to go down this dark road of, you know, the French version where they're they start to decay or, you know, a typical zombie supernatural show where they, you know, come back from the dead and are sadistically dark. It just feels like they, they're they not exactly who they were. And so maybe the anger that he had when he was alive the first time boiled into something different now that he's back. But again, that's just something that they're not developing. Like it, it's leaving you with a question when it doesn't need to be a question. You know, the overarching question is much, much more about the, the why and the, and the, if they're connected how are they connected? It, it shouldn't be about these character details. These character details should be pretty clear based on the stories that they're choosing to tell, and they're just not. And I think those story details and the character details should come as part of the storytelling. But really, I signed on for the mystery. When okay. I saw this show was coming, I thought, Resurrection, oh, okay, people are coming back from the dead. Okay, I like Walking Dead, and I like you know your your average zombie movie. So okay. this this idea kind of had my attention. So I'm in it for that mystery. And if I get to know the characters and, and feel for the characters, that's good, but that's secondary to the mystery for me. And I, I kind of feel like the mystery is... I'm, I'm afraid that they're going to try to stretch it out too much to the point where we even forget that, that there's a mystery. There's just people showing up. Oh, right. who's back today? You know, well, that, I mean, honestly, I, I know a lot of people watch the show for that, for the mystery. But the producers have said and, and the book especially have said has said that the mystery is secondary. So I do have a feeling that you're not going to get answers by the end of season one because it's not the story they necessarily want to focus on. Um, I also don't think it'll get renewed, so I think that means that a good thing for the audience, <laughs> you included, might just be upset. Oh but wow! I, to be honest, I just feel like they, you know, they they've said they set out to tell the human story. The the book came about from uh, the idea, you know, what would happen. The the author, his mom, had passed away, and he had a dream one night where he was sitting at a at a dinner table with her and they were having a conversation. And when he woke up in the morning, it was kind of the if she really were in front of me right now, like what would that do? Like, what if we had a second chance with our loved ones and what were the, what would that do to us, but also, you know, society as a, as a whole when, when this phenomenon occurs. Um, and I won't spoil the book for anybody, but it's the why and the how and the why now is very much secondary. And I assume on television, they'll have to give you some sort of an answer but it doesn't seem like they're planning to give it anytime soon. I see. I see. You really think that, that, that it's not going to get picked up for another season? Yeah. Are you, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. <laughs> well, <laughs> well it, it started out so well, and it seemed to be pretty well, but it has continued mm-hmm. to drop like weekly. But that's yeah, pr- it- probably based on <laughs> that a lot of people are seeing it the same way you are. They're 
week to week, they're becoming less and less interested. Yeah. You know, and it also just doesn't really fit ABC's brand. And I, again, kudos for trying something that isn't the norm, but it's, it's not really working creatively. And I think it's also not really working, um, ratings wise right now. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's still time. They have to see what gets delivered. That's new. That may be better or cheaper <laughs> if nothing else. But, um, I don't know. I, I don't have great feelings about it. Yeah, I I think that well, it always matters what they think about new pilots and stuff like that. Yeah. But ABC has had a pretty they haven't done very well this season with their new stuff. Right. And so uh the idea that something that is even doing mediocre ratings wise when seems like that has a a chance to get picked up. Although if it continues to bleed uh audience week to week for the next 8 weeks <laughs> Yeah. Or, or how seven weeks, uh, yeah, eight weeks. Uh, that you know, then you know, maybe it won't. But I, I'm still, I'm interested in, I'm interested in the mystery aspect of it. But I'm not just there for the mystery. There's got to be interesting characters and stories told along the way. But I'm starting to feel less and less like that first episode was very compelling and drew you in, and gave you, you know, an ending of another person back Mm -hmm. the idea in subsequent episodes that maybe you find, you know, that you find out that there's somebody else that's come back before Jacob. Uh, They don't show you who that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're left to speculate who that, who that may be. Uh, And then other people continuing to come back. I, I think maybe if they delved into the ones that were there and it was a little longer between when somebody new showed up, at least in that second episode, or I think it was the second episode, they had, you know, they ended it with Caleb murdering somebody instead of a new person coming back uh, as sort of the big ending for the episode. There's got to be more, to me, there's got to be more interesting stuff within these characters, but leading to people asking questions about why are these people back right. and what is their connection between these is it something about this town that just seems to be that there now that we do know that there's multiple people back that it seems that people should be starting to ask more bigger questions yeah i agree and i was just thinking too about the the connectivity between the three um so we know that jacob drowned and we know that rachel went over a bridge did she go over a bridge into the same river i wonder and did caleb die in the river Caleb didn't die in the river. They found oh. him in the woods. Oh, he had a heart attack in the woods. I was yeah. starting. I was starting to think. Oh, maybe it's the river. I that's know, the someone else. You know, I was reading something online. Although it was kind of close to the river because they were walking along the river to get to his his shack out in mm. the woods. But, but see, but that's the problem. Yeah. Like these are the questions that we're having, and we're and we're sitting here and we're saying, what if it's the river? Why is nobody on the show doing that? Like you yeah. always need that one character. That's <laughs> like it sounds ridiculous, but there's always that one character that's like the voice of the audience that's asking the questions that we're asking, and. If you're not, I feel like you're just you're ignoring something that shouldn't be ignored. Like you can say, and it's a valid argument that that's not the show you want to tell, but you have to have somebody acknowledge the question and at least be shot down. Because otherwise, I watch the show and I just say, well, you're just ignoring that because that's a complication that you don't want to have to write. (laughs) And to me, that's just problematic because it's it's not telling the most um, fleshed out 
complicated, realistic version of the story because you're, you're limiting the types of characters you have in your story. There's always going to be people that are trying to get to the bottom of things. And we're kind of seeing that a little bit with Maggie just because she's, you know, she's doing all of her checkups and everything, but there needs to be that point where they say our town is small. We need to alert someone outside of our town that this is happening here because we're going to be overrun with newly returned dead people. We need to have (laughs) somebody. Yeah. But the problem is that a lot of these shows say, well, we're going to wait. That's like a season two note to expand the world. And I'm sitting here saying, well, I'm already bored in episode five. If that doesn't happen in episode six or seven where you expand the world and you say, let's start to do some of these bigger picture things, I'm not going to stick around for if there is a season two. Because they may all be from the small town, but they're showing up all over the place. That's yeah. true, too. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, why? Why wouldn't you just show up exactly where you died or, you know, like show up in your backyard? I don't know. I don't I don't know that they know that either. I don't know if they have those answers. <laughs> just picking. Uh, they just felt that uh, this would make a great opening scene. So we're going to set it. Yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, and it did. It was absolutely beautiful. And it's a complete fish out of water because he's in a village where he doesn't speak the language and he's a little kid and he's vulnerable. And it's like the perfect emotional hook to bring people into your show. And then you need to keep it at that level and you need to follow through and do exciting things like that all the time. But I don't feel like they are. And the payoffs have to be there. I think if they're going to build a bigger a story and expand outward and, and tell a larger story, there have to be some payoffs here. And I, and I can understand the idea of saying, okay, well, we understand that this is the thing that caused all these three people to come back. Okay, now we zoom out a little bit and we've got a sense of this phenomenon that seems to be happening. Right. Then maybe we can ask the question, is this happening in other towns? And maybe other towns are afraid to let the media know or, or let the authorities know about what's going on. I, I think, yeah, you're right. And it seems to be that character Ray who is Caleb's son, who seems to be the – he's the closest thing I've seen to the audience member who's saying, you know, you're not really my dad. And yeah, he's, he's the suspicious like, one. Well, he's a suspicious one, but he's also the one that everybody passes off because he has issues. Like I'm not exactly sure what's, what's with him, but mm-hmm. they've alluded a few times to that he's not quite right. I'm like, well, if you're basically saying the audience is not quite right <laughs> and <asking the> questions, <laughs> And you, like you're, they're trying to tell us how to watch the show, and they're trying to say like care about these things only, but that doesn't really work because <laughs> if you don't care about those things, and the show isn't giving you other things to be interested in, we won't be watching the show. Like that's just how it is. If you're not interested and your characters aren't uh, compelling, people tune out, and I think we're starting to see that where people are tuning out. Yep, exactly the way I felt about Helix. Right. I, I don't watch Helix, but but exactly. I mean, it happens a lot. Yeah. Although they did expand out the world quite largely. Uh, well, that's true. The, that's, but they, they waited until the final episode to do it. Yeah. I think it'll definitely be telling over like I think over the next couple episodes, you'll be halfway through the first run. Mm-hmm. And by then, I think you'll have a pretty good understanding of what – they're going, you know, what the show is going to be uh, yeah, I and what like they've, too- you know, what they've learned from what they've been doing at the, you know, at the beginning of the show as they started making it uh, and really where, where they're going. And yeah, if it turns out that, yeah, if a bunch of people started watching your show because XYZ hooked them, but then that's not what your show is about. Guess what? <laughs> they're yeah. not going to, <laughs> you hook them with the wrong thing exactly. uh, or you, you're telling the 
you, you may be telling a story that you like, but it's not the story that uh, is is holding you know an audience uh, audience interest. Yeah, it starts to it starts to feel like a bait and switch. You know, I signed on for this, but I'm getting this. Yeah, and they they continue to hint at you know occasionally at this mm-hmm. other thing to sort of keep you interested in, in that that is a thing, but then never really go there at at any point. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens over the the next couple episodes. And with that, we'll move on to the next show on the list, which is Shameless. Uh, Season 4, Episode 12, Lazarus, the season finale, uh, which this worked out perfectly. I don't watch Shameless, but both of you watch Shameless. And Uh, you have to watch it. (laughs) Yeah, it's I feel so bad for watching it, actually. I feel a little dirty sometimes. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Is that we had a request to have the show talked about on the podcast. So it all it all worked <laughs> out. So here you go, uh, Happy Bunny 87 on Twitter. Here is uh we'll start with you, Rim. What did you uh what do you think of <laughs> season 4 and where it ended? Ah, oh, it's such a it's such a dirty guilty pleasure this show. And and I'd heard about it and honestly, I'd only signed on I think the middle part of la- the no, beginning of the third season. So I still need to go back and watch seasons 1 and 2. A friend of mine at the office turned me on to it and he says you got to watch it. William H Macy is phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I recorded a couple of episodes and watched it and thought, "What the hell is this?" It's it's fast paced, it's edgy, it's raunchy, and it's it's a fun comedy, definitely not for the kids. And I, I think what, what I like most about this is this gives you a, a sort of sense of uh, an American family living, you know, in the, in the south part of Chicago, not doing well financially, but, you know, they're, they're, they're how did I read it? They said it's this dysfunctional, but they are functioning. And to see that each of the kids in the show is is being fleshed out, I, I like that. Um, I like the interactions. I, I think it's it's fun and fast paced. And I, I'm curious to see how this is going to play out. And with the end of this season with Lazarus, which I guess is a reference to the the biblical Lazarus rising from the dead, uh, we see Frank who through the majority of this season has been very sick and needed a liver transplant. And, and some of the uh, plot has been revolved around how do we get this guy, you know, how do we get him a proper liver? Um, long and short, he gets the liver, survives, and essentially rises from the dead. I kind of found myself getting a little bit tired of the Frank storyline. He spent so much time in bed that I started to lose connection with his character because that seemed to be all that he was doing. And I thought, you know, give me something here. Do something. Let the die guy or let the guy die. I would be OK if that happened because I think there's enough valuable stuff in the show going on that it could survive without him. Um, I still need to go back and watch the first few seasons and, and really get caught up. But uh, Danielle, what did you think? Well, I mean, first of all, I agree. I, I was saying let the guy die for years before the liver condition even <laughs> Um, because when I first started watching the show, you know, show, Showtime sent the pilot for review years ago, and I had a really hard time with the pilot by itself. The first time I watched it, I reviewed it kind of negatively and, and then had to, like, sit away from it and go back and rewatch it and say, you know what? It's a really well-done show. The reason I reviewed it so negatively was because I had a hard time with it being a comedy. Um, and it, it, you know what? They, everyone calls it a comedy. They, they submit – I think they submit that way for Emmys, but it's – 
such a dark show at times. Oh, is it, ever- it is so dysfunctional. And these, these, I, I felt so bad for these kids that I had a hard time getting into it at first. Um, and I mean, he's William H. Macy. He's amazing. They're never going to get rid of him. He, they've already said he's in the show to the end. So I, I assumed he was going to get his liver and live. And I agree that I didn't then need to see so much of the storyline because it was repetitive, but also I knew that was going to happen. And I, I, what I love about the show on a weekly basis is how much they do and how much they do that takes me by surprise. Um, yes. yes. And a lot of it has to do with the kids. I mean, you know, Lip has been one of my favorite characters from the beginning and, and being able to see him now kind of step up and, and grow up and actually take care of things has been amazing. I really thought um, Fiona's storyline this season was long overdue, the kind of delayed adolescence where suddenly everything seems to be as normal as it can be for the Gallaghers and she doesn't know what to do and she kind of reacts and and reacts in an explosive and detrimental way and part of it what you know the the uh, issue with Liam wasn't in you can argue it's not entirely her fault but what comes after that where she kind of lets herself spiral for a little while was and um that to me is such a compelling story just the idea of she worked so hard for so many years to not be her parents because she had these kids to take care of and now they're taking care of themselves and she can't take care of herself by herself. She can't be alone. Um, and that was fascinating to me. And Ian's storyline, I mean, it's aired, so I feel like it's not a spoiler. But midway through the season, I said that it has to be where they're going, with bio, that, that he has inherited his mother's disease. That is a fascinating story. I want to see that play out on, on this show. And they just got to it at the very end of the season. And so it kind of was one of those things where I wish they had they had figured it out and, and worked on it a little bit earlier. But with everything else going on, it was kind of the who's going to sit around and notice that this kid is is not right, you know. And it, it just felt so real for their situation that, um, A, that's what I love about the show is just how gritty and realistic it is. And B, it makes me really excited for what they're going to do next year because now I know they are exploring that next year. I don't know. Yeah. There's just there's so much of it that I just – it's it's not I I don't call it a guilty pleasure but I, I I do acknowledge that it's one of those shows where it's kind of hard to say you love it because the things that you say you love are so messed up that you feel a little <laughs> like you do feel a little weird being like oh my god I love this show where you know last season the dad called child services on the house and all the kids got taken away and this year one of the kids almost died cuz he got into drugs that were in the house and like you feel weird saying that but and i that's partially why i feel weird calling it a comedy but um it's just so well done on every aspect the writing and the producing and the acting and i don't know i just it's definitely one of my my favorite shows out of everything that is on right now Yep, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the uh, first two seasons play out. Uh, the friend who turned me on to this had said, yeah, the first two seasons, very intense. And he seems to think that this past season has been um, kind of a, a bit watered down. And I, and I don't know. I don't have a, a comparison for that. But I love how, like you said, the development of, of Lip's character, um, how they're developing uh, Ian's character with uh, being bipolar. There's so much going on under this one house. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Deb, the young girl who is 
who was just anxious, anxious to reconnect with this guy and, and lose her virginity. And then you see Carl, who mm-hmm. connects with this other younger girl whose family lives in a van. And then they start, uh, you know, something of a, of a small relationship. I really like the character of uh, Mickey and his relationship with Ian and how yeah. he was so afraid to come out. Yeah, and it, it was I mean, finally Ian that forced him to come out inside the bar, and, and he basically tells the whole bar, "I'm gay," and he's expecting he's expecting all this uh, judgment and retribution. Nobody cares. Well, Nobody cares. Is, I mean, if if you'd seen the first few seasons, we all expected it because not not just because of you know it being kind of a older school neighborhood, but just the things that his father did to him when he thought he was gay. Oh, okay. Um, he, the, his father caught him and Ian once uh, pre- in a previous season and basically decided, I'm going to get you a prostitute and we're going to bleep the gay out of you. And that's how he ended up with his now wife and child because he got her pregnant um, in that instance of what his father deemed therapy because he's a psychopath and clearly does, belongs in jail. Um, so when you say that when, when whoever said that the season was watered down, in a way, like, it was definitely more happy. <laughs> oh, okay. As, as odd as that sounds, it was definitely much more of a, there were a lot more positive things going on. I mean, you know, Debbie, that storyline could have gone to a very dark place if they wanted to. You know, this 13-year-old kid who has no role models and is looking for advice in all the wrong places. Yeah. She could have become, she could have easily have turned to, to drugs and sex and turned into her parents because that's, that's that age where if you're not cared for and you don't have, I mean, she has a good head on her shoulders. God knows where she got it from. But I mean, if you're not careful, that's where those things start. And I was really impressed that they decided to say, we're not going to be cliche and we're not going to just do a show where everyone is like that. You know, we're going to give them all their own individual stories and their own individual issues to work through. And, and in that everybody finds something different to relate to. Um, but there were definitely moments where, I mean, the Mickey storyline, I never expected him to be able to do that just as a character for him to able to, to admit it. And then to see in the season finale where he was so like he just got himself to say he was gay and now he's facing losing Ian and he can't handle it. And it's basically like I, he he has to stay here with me, even if it's to the detriment of him, because I can't. I, what am I without him type of type of situation where oh, yeah, I see. I, that I see. now I want to see what, where that goes next year. If it's, if he look, none of them are very equipped to deal with medical issues. We know that they're, they're not, they haven't had the best education or upbringing, but then the fact that nobody forced Ian to a clinic because Mickey was like, no, 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 I'm going to stay here. He's going to stay with me. I'll deal with it. He, they have no idea what they're dealing with. They're going to be so far in over their heads, but it's going to make such a compelling story that I, I'm so excited for both of those characters. Yeah, yeah. And to see how Mickey Mickey's character is going to progress, I, I've seen a, a bit of, of his cycle and I think his arc is going to be – it's going to be interesting. I think he might become a – uh, a, a bit of a changed person. If he if yeah. he finds himself in a position where he needs to care through for Ian through this, I, I could see some really yeah. good growth for him. Um, and I love, like you were saying earlier with Fiona, her storyline where where she essentially was the mother and the caretaker for the family. And it was it was really interesting too how at one point 
she, you know, she, I think she realized that there's a tendency for her to carry on the family dysfunction. You know, she had the really good yeah. job. She had the great boyfriend. Everything was going great until, but, until the boyfriend's brother showed up and right. it seemed to be some sort of, um, trigger for her to act upon this, this, this self-destructive behavior that I guess until that point she hoped she didn't have, but maybe realizes now that that maybe she is as susceptible as her father to to those kind of dark impulses. And I think too part of it is you know whether it's whether you want to make the argument that it's genetic or not. I mean, it, she wasn't faced with a position where she this this season was the first time where Emmy Rossum actually said this in an interview recently with me, and I, I thought it was the perfect way to say it was she thrives on chaos. And whether you want to say she's like genetically dispositioned to to want to use drugs, that's not really the issue. The issue is she can't just be in a normal, calm environment because she's never known it. And so the minute she had it, she was bored and she was it was like that like itch, that like addict twitch where it's like I need I need something. I need a fix of excitement. Like the reason she got excited by Jimmy in the pilot years ago was because she realized that he wasn't some like well, he was, but what she, what she met him in the pilot, he wasn't just this like rich guy who could buy her drinks at a bar. He was stealing cars. And so it was that rough around the edges, you know, not quite good for me attitude. And so now that they've got her going to meetings and she's got a decent job, I don't, I, I want to see her get better. And yet at the same time, you kind of know for the dramatic effects, she's probably going to have to spiral a little bit more just to, before she can really move on and, and really be okay. I guess the first part for her is going to be realizing that that issue is there because I yeah. think up until uh, the boyfriend thing or the boyfriend's brother thing happened, she probably didn't realize that she had that, that right. kind of chaos itch or the, right. the itch for chaos. And now that she sees that, you know, I think that's the first step to anybody being able, able to overcome something. So I could yeah. see how maybe she may spiral, she may relapse, but this is probably going to be a struggle for her going on. And, and I, I think she played the role so well. Yeah. And when I came into the series, you know, she was the one keeping the family together. And I thought, man, she's really working hard trying to make sure that everyone's fed and clothed and taken care of and off to school. And then to see her 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 spiral like that, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. what a big change for her. Oh yeah, and that, that's partially why I love the show because they don't let you get too comfortable. You know, you you understand the characters and you know them really well, and you feel like you can pre predict their behavior to a point. And then they throw you something and they say, you know, you know the character, so you kind of know how they'll behave, but you never saw this story twist coming. And yeah, you don't get a second to breathe because as yeah. soon as Mickey comes out with with uh, Ian, mm -hmm. you know, they have the big fight in the bar. You know, they're both beat up and bloody. They they have a night together. Hey, uh, Mickey's going to make him some breakfast. Uh no, sorry. You know, your right. little your little bit of happiness that you just had, okay, that's done cuz we're on to something else now. Right. Yeah. Now, one character I'm curious about and I, I saw her in some of the previous episodes. Of course, Joan Cusack as Sheila yeah. Jackson. Now, I seem to remember the first few episodes. Uh, I, I read that she was agoraphobic, and she had mm -hmm. this thing about uh, uh, tying up guys. And, mm -hmm. and so I remember seeing one or two episodes when I first started uh, watching the series. Uh, how do you think she's come along with her whole uh, trying to adopt the Native American family? 
Well, I mean, her character, if, if I just, I know I just said a second ago that like they let you get to know the characters and they throw you these curveballs. She, I think, exemplifies that the most just mm. because they've done so much with what could have just been a supporting comedic effect type of character. Um, she did start out agoraphobic and there was a really big arc, you know, the first season where she was trying to get over that. Um, she was also married and she had a teenage daughter and, and Lip was dating the daughter and there were all these issues with them. Um, and every season it's been different. She had a relationship with Frank. She, she's like this quirky, like kooky oddball who you probably think has a touch of some kind of mental illness, but she's not really hurting anyone or herself. So you, so you just call her quirky. Um, and the, but the thing about her is she just desperately wants to be a caretaker. And so the, the, with the native American kids, like that fits in so well, because we've seen her, we've seen her attempt that before in, um, crazier circumstances oddly enough and you know even at the end of the season when the kids didn't get to live with her and she kind of said all right well sammy you want to come in and and have lunch or whatever even though they had had this big fight and she's going to mooch off her, her property it's it's again i think it goes back to the whole like these people are only functional when they're with each other if they have to be alone with themselves and their thoughts they don't like what they find and then they and they aren't always detrimental to themselves, but, but it always turns into some sort of outreach. Um, and so for her, I, one of my favorite storylines a couple seasons ago was, uh, when she was actually in a relationship with Frank because it was just so messed up and so twisted. And now to see the dynamic that's going to come into play, because they're quote unquote married, but he he had <laughs> no say in it, and he probably was nothing he was to unconscious do with it. at the time. Yeah, I mean the thing was like he was using their relationship started out seasons ago because he was the opportunist opportunist using her because she had a nice house and he had been kicked out and all these things, and now and then it became the opposite this season where she was like, I need a marriage certificate to get these kids, and I, I'm just so curious to see now what what it becomes are <laughs> like this weird quasi family that she sets up every season in her house is it's always different and it seems like next year it'll be sammy chucky frank and and her and that is just a crazy <laughs> when they're all awake and they're all coherent enough that's going to be a pretty crazy scenario yeah that should be a pretty good recipe for comedy so i think yeah. what i'll do is is now that the season ender has happened i'm going to go back and start at the beginning at season one because i this is this is one of those shows where i i think i need to go back and watch it again because there's so much good stuff there oh, yeah. and i think there's a lot of good stuff in the first and second season that i've missed out on so i'll be uh looking forward to getting completely up to date on this one yeah and i will say i mean having the ender the tag at the end of the season finale the way that it was with jimmy steve now jack coming back mm. it's, the per- it's the perfect time to go go see the you know, kind of relive that relationship, him and Fiona and, uh, you know, what his return, I, when I said earlier that she might relapse or spiral, I really think it, it'll have more to do with his return than just her, because by the end of the season, she seemed to realize I made mistakes and, and, you know, the chaos is, is maybe driving me, but I need my family. And if I'm going to, you know, lose my family, if I give into chaos, I won't do that. But when Jimmy comes back, she won't have a choice because he'll just explode everything. Um, and I wasn't super excited about his return as odd as that is. So many fans were like, that's the best thing ever. And I kind of felt like, you know, they put the character to bed. It had such an, uh, such a emotional impact on her when he left the first time, 
But now that I like thinking about the potential for when he comes back, what that does to everybody, I kind of do. I kind of do like it a little bit more than I did when I first saw the end of the episode. And chances are they're doing it for a, for a good reason. I, I would like to think. Oh yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think they're all. I mean, it's John Wells. They're all pretty, pretty uh, serious about their their story, real estate. They don't seem to waste anything. So mm-hmm. I. I, I trust them enough to to know that like oh it's not just going to be some weird soap opera twist well i think i'm kind of all talked out on uh on shameless what do you think <laughs> <laughs> i'm all up i love it that's good i really enjoy it and happy bunny 87 you'll have to let us know what you thought about all the shameless talk that sounded kind of weird the yeah. shameless talk <laughs> about <laughs> shameless with that we'll move on to the next show on the list which is crisis Stop talking about all the chaos and start talking about Crisis. Uh, Season one, episode four, we were supposed to help each other. And I added this one to the list because uh, I'm watching it. And because, Danielle, when you said you were watching it, you said you this was the last episode you were watching. And so I thought it would be interesting to find out what was it in these uh, that got to the point here in the first four episodes that you were just like, okay, I'm done. Well, you know, it, it wasn't anything specific to this one episode. I'll say that. It just was more of the way the show seems to be going overall. Um, it's very of the week, and that annoys me. Um, just the the idea that it's, you know, obviously a different different parent's task every week. And I will say that there's a lot of stuff that, that within the show – the characters don't seem like they're realizing that they, they don't seem like they're very intelligent people. And I have, I take issue with the fact that it's, it feels like they're someone just said, Oh, it doesn't matter. No one's going to notice that. And it feels like they're almost treating the show. Like it's not as smart as it could be. And therefore the audience, like it's not as smart as it could be um, for uh, my most uh, obvious example, I think is the fact that, Every time something goes wrong, they pull Dermot Mulroney's character out of the room with the kids, and they always bring him back. And except for that one pinky experience, he's untouched, he's unscathed, he has no bruises, and nobody is sitting there going, "Hey, how come it's always him? Hey, how come he's never hurt? What? Like why? Like no one's wising up to this fact that there's something very not." right going on within the already very not not right situation but like if you've been kidnapped your senses are heightened already right so where does my dad disappear to for hours at a time and she's worried like the daughter is worried about him and the daughter keeps saying like is my dad all right where's my dad but then when he comes back it's there doesn't seem to be any like question of hey what was going on back there like what did they do to you what yeah and there's just a lot of a lot of stuff that just feels very low as common denominator. I liked the show on paper. I liked the pilot a lot. I was really curious to see how they would differentiate from hostages because so much of it is so similar and they had the blessing or curse, depending on what kind of a writer you are to go after hostages and see how it failed in the ratings and say, we're going to make changes so that our show doesn't fail. And yet whatever they changed seems to have made it worse. So, there's just I don't know. There's just so much about it that I just I just call it a big mess. Like I don't I don't know. I don't get a sense that they really know what's going on either. Um, and I just don't honestly. I just don't have the patience or the time for it. Sunday night's a very competitive night. <laughs> um, 
you know, the, I do like a good chunk of the cast, but I do feel like there's also a good chunk of the cast that just sits around, gets wasted. And I mean wasted like their characters are not being used, not like they sit around drunk on set. But um, there's just, I don't know. I just, I don't care about the overall bigger picture. I feel like even if they're about to expose some grand conspiracy that the government took part in and we should all point our finger in shame at the government, there is no way that you can look at Dermot Maroney's character and say, well, you're okay because you exposed that. Like everything he's doing is terrible. And I don't understand from him as a character's perspective why he would do it because there's no way that his kid will respect him or look up to him or, or love him after she realizes what happened. I don't know if he thinks he's going to get away with things and they're not going to figure out he's behind it. I don't know if there's somebody above him that's really pulling the strings, but the bottom line is like out of all these things, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> so that's really like, I just got really fed up with it uh, last week. And I was like, you know what? I don't enjoy myself. I sit there and I yell about how dumb a lot of the things that happen are. <laughs> and it's not like a two hour movie where I can like go in and shut my brain off for two hours and feel like, okay, I didn't, get my time wasted because it was only two hours it's week after week you want me to tune back in for stupidity and i just don't i'm not willing to do that anymore (laughs) yeah there there are some things if you you look a little deeper into it that you start to go like what okay he's trying to obviously he got blamed for something and you know jettisoned out of the cia and that that pissed him off and and now he's got this big plan to show what really happened. But yeah, he's going about it in like the completely, like totally wrong way that now, even though he tries to play it off as they shot him, it wasn't me, but he like no responsibility that he put right. these people in this, these, these situations uh, that have caused uh, harm to these various people and that type of stuff. You go, yeah, maybe there is, is he he's sort of all of a sudden you're you're looking at it, you're like is he sort of the good guy but he's actually he's like a it's sort of confusing in that and where exactly they're going after a while I mean they're trying to get to the point there where they were telling everybody they were under surveillance and stuff but right. it seems like they would have after the first parent was used that <laughs> that might have happened a, a little bit sooner uh, in the in the story and, you know, how is he going to still be able to get to these people now that they are more mm-hmm. under surveillance? Uh, it's, it is it is built sort of like almost perfectly to be like this week to week where there's something that has to happen each week that uh, gets taken care of because it's like the next page in his book of his plan. Right, right. Well, that also just annoys me. Let's be honest. Things with books and like when Revenge first started and it was just crossing names off every week or Arrow, that drove me nuts. But thankfully, both shows kind of got rid of that pretty quickly. Well, yeah, like that was one of the things about Revenge, too. It was always like, okay, there's only so many people in that photo that could have been been (laughs) responsible for it. Exactly. And I feel like this show is... They don't. I don't feel like they have plans to ever deviate from that book, and that book annoys the crap out of me. Yeah, it's. It seems like no matter how smart you are and how big a planner you are, and you know that's what you did mm-hmm. for the CIA is create these things that uh, uh, would take place. That sooner or later something's got to deviate from uh, from that. They've got to either stop something before you get what you actually needed, or. Uh, Because that becomes the other thing, too, is the longer you go, 
while of course one guy is really smart there he can't be like the only smart guy exactly you know like the only smart person he can't get one over on the fbi every time mm -hmm. and so i'm sort of in a similar spot where they need to do something here uh, in the next couple episodes to maybe change that up a little bit or to to show that they're maybe starting to figure something out uh, i mean they do stuff like the guy he's he had on the phone a couple episodes ago that ends up shooting himself Mm -hmm. In that case, there were two things in there. One is, of course, they're going to be doing the torturing and they have the you can't hear uh, earphones on. Uh, and he says who the guy is, but they can't hear him. And then right. later it comes to the end and and this guy decides that he's going to shoot himself instead of maybe go to jail or something. I didn't get what I didn't get that he was in such a bad situation that that maybe he might be somebody that would be targeted to be killed because of what he well, knew yeah. or something, but why he would just take himself out. It made that that's one of those things that made no sense other than he obviously knew who it was and we can't let anybody know who's well, behind this yet. Yeah. I mean, that was more of the big picture, which they're not really unraveling very eloquently, but um, his part in the big CIA conspiracy or whatever the issue is that Dermot Mulroney's character that he is trying to get proof of this guy knew that if he didn't kill himself basically he'd be sold up the river by the government agency and anything that happened to him would basically be worse than death which let's face it it's a little bit that just seemed like a little much if you really if you at that point if you look at your options you know your option is probably to confess and go into witness protection but the problem is who are you confessing to because maybe everybody is a little bit dirty and shady and maybe we're all covering this up together and but you're right you're absolutely right it just became a really easy way for them to say well he knows who the guy on the other end of the phone is and that would that would be too complicated for us to work around in our weekly scripts so let's just eliminate him and therefore eliminate the complication um so it's not it's layered show um, but I, you know, I'm okay with watching like an action packed show once a week. If the action is, is exciting and smart and intriguing. And I don't even necessarily need the lead character to be a, a hero. Like I'm okay with saying Dermot Mulroney's character is the bad guy here if everything else is working. But to me, there's not really anybody likable enough to root for that. I don't, I get too bogged down with, well, I don't like any of these characters. I'm not rooting for any of these characters. And nothing that's happening week to week seems realistic, smart, or exciting. So, no yeah. thank you. Yeah, I guess if in the big picture you don't really care whether any of these people get their kids back or not. Then... I kind of don't want them to get their kids back, to be honest with you. Like, some of these kids are terrible. They're entitled little rich brats, and I'm okay with seeing them die. And that's also a problem. Like, when that's the awesome. When, when the president said that, like, he couldn't do certain things, even if it <laughs> meant, you know, protecting his kid where he would let his kid die. I was like, thank you, because yes, because sometimes, A, the kid is just not worth it. And sometimes you have a, a I mean, most parents would never say that. And I'm not a parent. And I'm sure if I had children, I would never say that. But sometimes the children just aren't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I like your honesty. <laughs> yeah, well, I think definitely going forward, there's got to be more. You know, somebody at least other than like the president because of the position that he's in, 
yeah. questioning whether they should do what they're going to do, especially as more and more information comes out and we've seen what happens yeah. uh, to not just to either bystanders or or people that were other involved or the parents themselves, that while, yes, some people have got their kids back, you know, a lot of other, you know, how far are you willing to go even though it's your kid? Right. It it just seems to be as more of these things don't quite go perfectly or whatever, that they've got to show some, uh, at least some questioning. Everybody is just totally, yes. uh, it's it's my kid, I'll do whatever. And I don't think that's realistic. I think that a lot of these people who are very high powered, whether it's government or whatever they whatever they do, they're very important people. Realistically, in the world, they're very selfish people. And if it's going to mean potential prison or death for them, I'm not sure that they would do it. And no one has questioned it yet, even though we've seen in two cases that for one guy, it did mean prison. And for one guy, it did mean death. And I don't know that going forward we will ever see a question because I feel like that would take too long away from the main point of the show, which is just to push forward with uh, whatever task Dermot needs done. Yeah, whatever's the next page in the book. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, to me, that's that's more realistic is showing the the varied responses and the layers behind. Like, we all say we would do whatever it takes, but when you're actually asked, some people can't do it. Or they don't want to do it, or whatever. So I mean, they did do that a little bit in this last episode, where the father was like not willing to put right. on the fake bomb. But then he was the but one. But he's that the one that ended up, up getting killed. Exactly, and it's like it, you basically punished him in the world of the show for the audience. It felt really preachy to the audience, like being like, "You better be willing to do whatever," because he wasn't, and he still died. And I was like, "What's happening right now? What is this show?" Um, I don't know. And I feel like Gillian Anderson's character theoretically should be one of the most interesting ones in that regard because it's not her biological kid. And her, and so you, we should see a little bit more with her and her sister and, and what each of them is willing to do. But the problem is that they're not really using that kid as a bargaining chip yet. They did for ve- something very small and, and just one part of the puzzle. But that also feels like a very strange inconsistency where, you know, Everybody else who did what they were asked got their kids back. She did what was asked, and her kid is still a bargaining tool. So it makes it feel like it might be a little bit more about her or her sister or some something in that relationship. But then you need to explore why, because theoretically, they're not the most powerful people if you've got the president's kid. It just feels very like we're going to do whatever we want and hope nobody questions us. But I'm questioning them because I think it's illogical. Yeah, I think there's – as it's gone on, I, I really like the the way they set things up in the pilot. Uh, it was definitely – although I really like the pilot of Hostages. I did too. I like the pilot of Hostages, but it also – the pilot of Hostages also left you going, what the heck is the next 14 episodes going to be? Yes. At, at least in this, it set up – you could at least see how it could go for a short season. Uh, that was one thing I liked better in this pilot is that you could at least see what some of the potential for a season arc would be, uh, what, you know, what the show could be going forward. Uh, hostages just seem like really now we're going to have to basically, we're going to see the next 14 days as the, <laughs> until the postponement of the surgery. Right. Uh, and that just seemed way too preposterous, uh, to be able to, you know, that they'd be able to do that and nobody notice. You know, really, you know, in 
in that period of time. I mean, and I will say, like, I agree. I mean, I, I thought that, too. I just to me, that was what was exciting about the show was that I I wanted to see how they were going to pull it off. And granted, they didn't always do it in an amazing way. I mean, it wasn't a perfect show, but I, I have a problem with the fact that I feel like I know exactly where every episode of Crisis is going. I don't I don't want that. I want it to do things that either take you by surprise or have con- have actual consequences for future episodes. I don't want to feel like things can be lifted up and moved around and it doesn't matter. But on a short uh, on a short cycle, I'm probably going to stay with this one to the end uh since it's, you know, a, sh- a short season. It's got it's still got me enough uh involved that I kind of want to see how this one plays out where hostages lost me a few episodes in and I was just like, mm-hmm. "Nope, I'm done." So we'll see well, I'll see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you will not. I will not. You can tell me where it goes. <laughs> yes. uh, okay, that's enough about Crisis. Next up, uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Season 1, Episode 17, uh, Turn, Turn, Turn. And this is uh, the sort of the big episode uh, so far this season, uh, the biggest one to tie in with one of the you know, the Marvel movie franchise. And note in this uh, in this little segment, there may be some Captain America: The Winter Soldier spoilers as well as yeah, <laughs> as as uh, Agents of Shield spoilers. So uh, if you don't want to hear those, you know you can always flip forward to the next section. I I really like the episode. I like what they've done building. You know that this episode sort of played out in conjunction with the events at the end. You know, going on at the end of Captain America. It puts the show in an interesting place of where they go uh, for the end of the season. But I think them having to wait this long to add this in has really hurt the series. Because they knew this was coming, but they couldn't mention, uh, as the producers called it, the H word. uh, They couldn't mention Hydra uh, in the show until after it's revealed in Captain America. So they've had to call these you know the other you know things like centipede or these other you know the clairvoyant these other things but they never delved into those i thought deep enough those things never became a big enough thing on their own uh to find out that they were part of this other thing later on would have been uh, i think would have been more interesting all along if they had done more with those uh before so it's kind of an interesting thing. They've finally gotten to a place where they've done something really interesting and, you know, much bigger of a tie-in than they did with, like, Thor last fall. And But I think it really hurt, it sort of hurt the show when you've got to wait till almost the end of your 22-episode run before you can really get go into full gear of what the big thing is for <laughs> these people have to deal with. What do you think, Rem? You know, that's a good point, Jason. I hadn't thought about the idea that they had to wait until Captain America came out before they could, uh, you know, go go the H word, and I was kind of wondering if maybe I was just losing interest in Shield. Uh, I use my PVR as um, it's an indicator for me to tell me how interested I am in a show. <laughs> the more shows, so, <laughs> the more they back up, the less interested you are. <laughs> exactly so. So so knowing that I was going to be talking to you and Danielle today about it, and knowing that. Uh, well, no, actually, I actually got caught up because I had seen Captain America, and it sort of re-energized my interest in it. Um, 
I, I had left about two or three episodes on the PVR. And then I went and saw Captain America Winter Soldier, and then I heard, oh, there's a connection with S.H.I.E.L.D., so I've got to go watch that. So I went and watched and got caught up, and I thought I liked the tie-in a lot. And as I've said on our show, the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, plug, plug, <laughs> I, uh, I like the idea that they've taken the opportunity to, to use Marvel's multi-character universe and have a, a large – group of films all moving in the same direction. I think that's brilliant, the way that Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, um, Hulk all culminated in the Avengers was great. How they did uh, the tie-in with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Thor last year was good. And that they're tying in the movies now with the TV show, I think it's really clever. And I, I like that a lot. But... I didn't. I didn't really get that point until you just said it. The idea that maybe, maybe Shield was sort of holding off on releasing the the knowledge of Hydra until Captain America came out, and that makes perfect sense now, because it felt like uh, you know some of those episodes partway through the season. Uh, yeah, I could I could get to it or not get to it. I'll get to it eventually. And if I'm feeling that way about what's on my PVR, I know that it's losing my attention. Um, if a show, if I'm watching a show, if I really like a show like Game of Thrones, I'm watching it live. You know, if it's another show like maybe The Walking Dead, maybe I won't watch it live, but I'll, I'll watch it the night it came out and I'll, I'll watch it on the PVR later. Uh, with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Helix, I kind of got, you know, two or three episodes behind. So I can kind of see where you were going with that idea that maybe they had to wait and bide their time with things like the Clairvoyant and the Centipede, which I, I didn't really understand all that well, though I do have a history of missing the point. And I wondered, I wondered now, well... Was the clairvoyant and centipede part of Hydra? I'm a little confused now. Well, at this point, it looks like the Bill Paxton character is was the clairvoyant. He was the person that had the high level access and was, you know, uh, foiling things, and seems to be at least somewhere at the top. Uh, I I I, supp- I think this next episode is supposed to show a little bit more uh, of you know that group that they've been following. Uh, you know the creation of you know uh, Deathlock and yeah and, yeah and and all of that stuff that was going on with the Centipede program. I just think that uh, while they had you know that reveal and and the potential reveal that Agent Ward is, uh, you know, also you know not <laughs> necessarily a good guy. Uh, although some people seem to think that's still open for interpretation, uh, <laughs> whether. But I think uh, I think killing three people to get in undercover seems a little more a little farther than a little drastic than this show might or would <laughs> or that Coulson would like be willing to go. And it definitely didn't seem like a fake, uh, some sort of a fake type of thing, uh, since you saw blood uh, and stuff. That uh, that would have been something else to that would have been a huge fake out. Uh, that I would be. I'd be hugely disappointed to find out that it was all a fake. You know, if it, this is the first time that they've done something that might actually make Ward interesting <laughs> is if, is if he actually became sort of the face of the bad guy on a, uh, you know, that they're uh, pursuing at least for this, uh, you know, next stretch that, that would be, you know, that would be uh, more interesting there. Uh, but yeah, they, I just think that, all along that the clairvoyant or uh, the 
you know, the centipede program. I just think that that would have been more interesting if they would have paid more attention to that. And then this reveal uh, that, you know, there's a, a, a bunch of bad people, in, you know, Hydra has been, you know, getting into shield and all kinds of things uh, for years. Uh, and that, you know, they've recruited various people uh, that have been doing these different projects and are, doing all these different types of things, I think would have been even more interesting to find out something that you had a little more investment in uh, was, you know, part of this big twist. Uh, I think that that may have played out uh, better. It does renew my interest in the show to see where they go uh, from here uh, in a, in a sort of a story landscape where who can you trust? Uh, You're not, you know, you're not quite sure who you can really trust because obviously you know, you're talking about a bunch of different people here uh, that have history that, you know, you would think that Coulson could have trusted uh, this guy and did. And then to find out that he, you know, he had turned uh, was, you know, sort of puts in doubt and that, you know, May, Melinda May for, you know, maybe for good purposes was also reporting on them uh, that you can't fully, you know, while she wasn't part of the bad guys, she still wasn't fully trustworthy. Uh, so I think it puts the team in an interesting place uh, going forward. Uh, but overall, I think it, it renewed my interest. Of, the thing I think that was funny is that the one of the complaints you seem to hear most uh, early on in the series was, well, besides some of the comp- the characters not being all that compelling was that it wasn't connected enough to the Marvel Universe. Okay. You know, okay. type of thing. And then one of the biggest complaints I heard about this episode is that it was too closely connected to the Marvel Universe in that this episode, <laughs> like if you watch this, if you were just watching the show and hadn't gotten to see them, you know, hadn't seen Captain America over the weekend, that it spoiled the movie. And I, I just thought it was funny. Uh, they spent a week advertising that, uh, after Captain America, everything changes. It's all connected. That'd been their advertising campaign for the show for like a couple weeks now. And so to to then be pissed off now that you got spoiled on Captain America because you watched the episode, I was like, it's <laughs> this is what people were wanting, is it to be more connected to the movie universe, and then they do it, and people get pissed off because they didn't here's get it. <laughs> yeah, here, here's exactly what you were looking for. <laughs> I wonder, too, if the people who are casual watchers, people who may watch it but don't have any strong affiliation with the Marvel brand or the uh, the movies, maybe they wouldn't feel as as um, spoiled. Because personally, I watch the movies and I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I don't read the comics. So there are people who are much more up to date on the on the whole comic franchise than I am. And I'm I'm a watcher of the movies and the TV show. So that's where I glean all my information from and also from Ian and Jonathan. So you know I'm I'm glad I saw The Winter Soldier before then. But if I would have found out about that, uh would it have spoiled it for me? Well probably not. Probably not, because I don't have a huge investment in the Captain America character anyway. But I think it's a bold move for them to do that, that they made that sort of connectivity between a movie and a TV show. I think it was really great. But I think you've got a good point that maybe they were waiting and trying to bide their time until Winter Soldier came out before they could drop the drop the H-bomb, yeah, so <laughs> as <to> it were, <laughs> so to speak. Danielle, did you end up catching up with it? 
I didn't catch up with it. Um, I did watch the episode. I mean, look, I, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. Um, they, I mean, they definitely had to wait, but I feel like it, the show did itself a huge disservice by not delivering more compelling episodes week after week. And then because, and, and I think part of that could have come from, you know what, maybe this should have been a mid-season show so that there weren't too many episodes before this big bomb was dropped um, because it really does change a lot of things and it really does does uh, shift the storytelling. Um, it felt like the, the few episodes I watched in the beginning of the season and the reason I stopped was because they all just felt like filler. Like I was sitting mm-hmm. around waiting for something cool to happen that never happened. And I didn't know at that point that this was coming, but they did. And so if they knew that, they should have worked a little harder in the beginning because I, I really take offense to a show that wastes a good chunk of its season. And maybe they thought they were delivering amazing things week after week. I didn't agree, and that's why I stopped watching. Um, I, I This episode, I thought, was a strong episode on its own. And I hadn't seen the movie before I saw the episode, so... I wasn't super invested to think it was a spoiler. That wasn't an issue um, for me personally. But it did feel very much tied into a world that you kind of had to know about. So it did feel a little bit more like you have to see the movies now to really enjoy the show and vice and maybe vice versa in the future. And I don't know that that's the best tactic. I And I don't know that everybody would with a casual um, understanding of these stories would feel that way. But I kind of feel like it should live on its own. Like the way you tied in winter soldier to agents of shield should make agents of shield a little bit cooler, but it, it should be a bonus. It shouldn't be the thing that makes agents of shield cool. You should like Mm. agents of shield for agents of shield first. Um, And I, I personally don't like agents of shield. (laughs) So I was like, "Eh, it's a cool episode. I'm never going to watch it again. But it was a cool episode. Um, and I, I wonder, though, if going forward, like you guys were saying, if if that episode really is a turning point for the series and if going forward things will start to be um, written and, you know, and the stories will kind of go more along those lines, it might become a really, um, a really much more interesting show. But I just feel like it took way too long to get there, if so. That's a good point. I think that's a, that's a very accurate way to see it. Because it did seem like that mid part of the season when those episodes were stacking up on my PVR, <laughs> exactly. I thought oh, I could watch Shield or not watch Shield, and I felt fine either way. And if a TV show feels that way to me, then it doesn't have my investment. It, it doesn't have me uh, doesn't have me invested in it. I kept watching because I you know I liked some of what they were doing. Occasionally, there was you know an interesting episode on its own. You know, in the beginning. But yeah, some of the things like, you know, their tie-in with Thor was weak. Oh, wow, we're part of the cleanup team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, oh, we get called away to another thing a couple minutes later. Oh, that also happens to be Asgardian. Uh, <laughs> it's like that whole Asgardian story was interesting, but became less interesting as in that episode. I thought it would have been interesting had that played out either earlier or later and not in the same episode. Uh, at that's like taking place after Thor. That just seemed like too much. Uh, I did like, you know, recently when they had Lady Sif show up, I thought that worked pretty well. Mostly since they've come back from a sort of like the winter hiatus, things have definitely been on a better trajectory uh, episode-wise. Uh, the train episode was 
was really good, but that one was really good more on that they told the story in an interesting way, not that anything overly interesting was happening, uh, you know, in in the story, but that they told it from a different, uh, you know, time perspective of seeing what the different characters were doing leading up to a certain point, uh, and then how all those things interacted, and and so, but from there on, it did seem to ramp up a little bit, so it does renew my interest a little bit from where it was definitely waning as we were going into you know the winter break uh, of the show. Uh, that you know I'll I'll stick around uh, into uh, the rest of the season to see if it really does turn things around uh, to give it to give it like some gas, you know, to give the show some umph to, to, to build off of and keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what they, you know, what they do with this. You know, they've been waiting long enough now that they've done it. Cause that, it was one of those things that I, uh, I hadn't watched the episode, uh, before that aired the week before that had a minor tie in with one of the characters is on the episode. And then he gets sent away. Uh, and you find out that the ship he got sent away in is what happens in the opening of the movie, uh, and that you know that character is in the movie. Uh, so it had a little bit of a tie in there, but I went to see Captain America without. I still hadn't watched that episode. You know, I was sort of keeping up, maybe getting an episode or or two behind, and then I would watch. And so it was even going into the movie. I didn't even watch the episode before. Then I watched Captain America, but when I watched Captain America, I went. Wow, based on what happens in Captain America and what happens to Shield, I go. That's going to have some big implications for a show called Agents of Shield. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, if Shield goes away, what does that mean for? And so, it did mm-hmm. sort of renew my interest a little bit to even watch that episode. Right. So, I went back and watched the previous episode and then uh, the new episode, and and so yeah, it, I, I'm back more on board than I was uh, I'll probably like this week it probably won't uh, sit on the DVR too long before I watch it uh, and you know and we'll see if it if it does something that keeps that on that path I mean right now there's only a handful of shows that I they're either the first thing off the DVR when I come home from work in the morning or or I watch them if possible like that same night uh, and you know, and Agents of Shield is, <laughs> is, is it hasn't been one of those since like the pilot. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, I know what I you mean. I know what you mean. I think the pilot, maybe like the second episode, is like the last ones that I will pretty much watch like same you know same night. Well, I think you've got a good point there uh, about it, it's got to it's got to hold your attention, and and it's easy for them to to stack up on the on the on the PVR. And I think your point too good is good, Danielle, about the idea of uh, Shield can't be waiting around for a movie to come along and energize it. You know, the, the show has to be able to fly on its own and maintain good characterization and and a good storyline without relying on a movie to give it that extra oomph that it seems to need. Um, characterization, I I found with the characterization of Clark Gregg as Coulson. My favorite character in the whole Shield 
Marvel Universe, my favorite character. I like the guy so much. Uh, ones I'm not so thrilled with, uh, Grant Ward, played by Brett Dalton. And I don't think Chloe Bennett as Sky is particularly a, a compelling character. Seems very out of place, and it seems extremely unrealistic that she would be invited to join such a prestigious <laughs> group. And I, yeah. I, I think I've got to suspend a lot of disbelief to think that she would be given, you know, and given her shield badge, which, yeah, okay, she got her badge, great. Right, just right before it all went to crap. <laughs> yeah, great, congratulations, you're now a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, and by the way, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s no more. <laughs> it was a good couple of hours. Yes, enjoy it while it lasts. All right, I think that's enough about uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we'll move on to the last show on the list, which is The 100, uh, Season 1, Episode 4, uh, Murphy's Law. And uh, Danielle, what are you thinking about The the 100? Um, I enjoy it. I don't love it as much as I think I would like to. Um, I uh, One of the parts of the show that I was most interested in, based on the book, because, again, I read the books, um, and also the pilot was the politics up in the colony um, and what exactly, you know, what, the power struggles, but also what what was going on in terms of how they built that colony and, and why, you know, why they are doing the things that they're doing rather than the kind of Lord of the Flies stuff on the ground with teenagers. It's a CW show, so I kind of expected it to skew much more towards the latter, and it is. And... The one thing that I'll say is that, at least on the ground, they're not shying away from some of the darker stuff. I watched all the first six episodes in a row, and so sometimes I get a little fuzzy on what happened exactly when. Yeah, I'm in that same spot. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I I like boned up because I was like, I don't want to spoil anything, but there are are a few things that are, um, you know, the storyline with Wells... And then this, there's a storyline with a theft that uh, just uh, – they, they go a little darker than I expected them to this early on. I don't necessarily care about the so-called others yet. Um, I kind of thought that like when we saw that Jasper and the pilot get shot with the arrow, I kind of like liked the idea that they were these ruthless people that killed this kid because he was intruding on their space. Now that we know that that's not true – um, I kind of, cause I feel like it's, it's, uh, a little softer than maybe it should be. I mean, basically there were humans that chose never to leave, or maybe were not allowed to leave depending on what the politics were of the, the colony that, you know, took off a hundred years ago. Um, and these kids are basically trespassing on their planet. <laughs> and I, I think it should go a little bit even darker than, than that. You know, I mean, I think Wells obviously was a shock for a lot of people and, and it, to me, that should set up the tone that is to follow. Um, the very, like, no rules, terrible things happen here because there are no rules and because we're not equipped for this world type of scenario. And I'm just not sure that that it will give that 100%. Um, but I will say that I was actually, as as much as I liked, liked is, a, is a, an odd choice of words for a death. But as much as I respected the choice to go that dark with what you thought was a main character so early on, I kind of liked what they did with Wells in the book more. And it kind of made me feel like they 
killed them early just to say they're not doing what the book did and don't get too comfortable. And I don't, I don't know about that. Cause I, I, I don't necessarily think you have to change the source material that much to still get an emotional rabid fan base. I mean, I guess if, if you have a, a lot of fans of the book, well, I'm not uh, sure that they do. Yeah, I'm just, but I mean, <laughs> a fans of the book that, you know, want to see, you know, it play out where it is. But if you're just if you're going more for the the show, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it depends. I I I'm okay with the sh- you know if they don't follow you know source material exactly yeah. in in a in a show. Uh, I I tend to like it as not being one of the people that's usually read the source material because then uh, it becomes less spoilery. Yeah, uh, from that's people true. that have is and and secondly, if I had. Uh, Reddit, I would kind of I for me personally, I would kind of want it to be different so that I because I watch TV and the shows that surprise me and do things that you're 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 not knowing where it's going are uh, you know are very effective. You know, like I've I was able to stay away from lots of spoilers and lots of things, and so something like the Red Wedding on Game of Thrones was a right. huge you know a huge thing for me and. I don't if I had known that was coming at some point from reading the books, I don't know that I would have had I I would have been more like, "Oh, that was interesting to see somebody's vision of what that would look like," but it wouldn't have had much less of an effect on me as a as the show as a show watcher. Yeah, when I when I say that I I would have liked it to stick a little closer to the story, I just mean because Wells' character in the book is so well defined and he had I don't want to spoil it, but he had such a crucial role in the in the in that what is it the arc whatever they're calling it in it in them dropping the the kids when they drop the kids that he felt much more developed as a character in the book and so when they chose to kill him so early in the series I felt like oh they didn't want to bother to develop the character so they just got rid of him and I I think that for me it would have been much more uh emotional and, and much more of an impact if we learned how important he was to so many people and then they still decided to kill him, which they could have done in in as few episodes, or they could have extended it a little bit. I just felt like they were cutting dead weight, and I didn't think that his character should have been dead weight. Yeah, it kind of did seem like that death was more of a, hey, look, we can, you know, don't get too comfortable. And that it was, it felt almost more of a twist for twist's sake right. than an actual twist. right. Yeah, like he should have been, by all accounts, one of the leading men if they had written him so that we all cared, but they they didn't, and then they just got rid of him, and it's kind of like, to me, it felt a little cheating, you know? How about you, Rim? Well, I've been watching it kind of knowing that I'm not really the target demographic here. You know, I'm I'm an older, fat, bald guy in my 40s, so I, I know that this this story isn't necessarily pointing toward me. And I was reading some of the reviews on it, and there was something that was written by uh, Allison Keene from The Hollywood Reporter. She gave uh, the 100 a negative review. She says. The sci-fi drama presents the CW's ultimate vision for humanity, an Earth populated only by attractive teenagers whose parents are left out in space. Well. So, <laughs> so I thought, I thought, okay, that's, that's who you're shooting for. It's like, yeah, and, that's probably not me. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, I'm typically drawn to sci-fi, surprise, surprise. So when I heard the idea of a, of a story about, you know, post-apocalyptic Earth, there's a spinning arc and we're trying to re-inhabit the Earth, I thought, okay, I can give this a spin. Hmm. So I, I like the idea of it and I, I like some of the direction, but there is this sort of uh, 90210 quality to it that I I just can't seem to escape right now. And I, I think the idea of having Charlotte kill Wells so early, maybe it's maybe it's their trying their attempt to do like a Ned Stark maneuver, you know, to say, hey, mm-hmm. better be careful. Like you say, nobody's safe here. And if they're able to develop a story that's that's gritty and dark, then I like that because I'm typically drawn to the darker material. Yeah. Um, Good example would be the uh, Ronald Ronald D. Moore version of Battlestar Galactica. That got really dark. And if this goes in the same direction, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how it might play out. Because I love the whole survivalist idea, the Lord of the Flies idea, the sci-fi twist has got some some nice stuff to it. Everybody's just a little too good looking for my for my <laughs> liking. So I'm trying to look past that and say, okay, are they going to be able to present a gritty enough and meaty enough story to keep my interest? And I'm 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 sort of half and half right now. I could probably go either way. So so I'm not sure if I'll stick with this one or if I'll uh, if I'll give it a few more episodes. Well, I have to say, even the adults, the parents left out in space, <laughs> aren't exactly ugly. Uh, it's not like yeah. It's not like, See, it's. I, that's one of those things that it's true. Yes, they're you know they're pretty people. You know, a young cast, uh, and that tends to be more what you know you see on the CW. But really, it's television. Point me yeah. to a cast that's full of ugly people. Uh, where <laughs> where is that show that everybody is is uh, you know this is this is a medium where we put a, you know we put attractive people on TV because for the most part we don't want to watch. You know, a bunch of unattractive people. Uh, we'd rather watch attractive people do unattractive things than have attra- unattractive people do attractive things on our. Oh, television. that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so that's that's always a little bit to me of a uh, of a false. To me, it's more. It's not that they're all pretty. It's that some of the situations become more high school drama y. Yeah. But in the midst of this, that there should be more important things like i really like the pilot and i like a lot of what's going on and i like uh, the, the next couple episodes take you to a couple of things that are really interesting uh, in the world that that they're living on but you know one of the things that really bothered me was like yeah they land the ones that survive come off and it just seemed to me two things one that the idea of having a giant party <laughs> as opposed yes. and only a couple people are interested in finding food yeah spring <laughs> break on like earth that 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 type of stuff kind of bothered me a little bit like yes it it's great that you're you know you've got some freedom and you're not you're not, you're not locked away or or possibly going to be you know sent out into space that's great and all but you weren't sent down with a whole lot of stuff you know, it, it's not going to last very long yeah but you know what's interesting i actually found that to be one of the more realistic things because that's just human nature and, like, that to me just showed that 100 years in the future, we're the same assholes we've always been. You know what I mean? Like, some kids some kids don't give a crap, and, and some kids are going to be the ones that are, that are saying, hey, wait a minute, we need to get our shit together. And 
Like that didn't bother me. What bothered me was the Raven storyline. Like that whole, I don't need a love triangle down on earth. I just don't. I thought when they killed off Wells, then they were saying, we're not doing that. We're not going to be the high school soapy love triangle show. And then they just killed off Wells to bring in somebody new to fill the void. And I was kind of like, well, now I'm not sure about the show again, because like you said, you know, it's the gritty stuff that that I want to watch. And and yeah, I like the sci-fi twist too. And I, I like the idea that um, it is a little like these kids are, some of them are actual criminals and some of them maybe just got imprisoned because their politics didn't align with other people. So they're going to be in conflict with each other all the time. So the Lord of the Flies aspect comes in, but I, I don't need to just like watch people hook up all the time that we have other shows on the CW for that. Yes. Yeah, very it, true. Yeah, very some, true. Yeah. Some of that love triangle type stuff that just seemed, yeah. Like some things that, uh, not all that important. No, in your present situation, the nature, but like yeah. it's human nature that shouldn't. I don't want it to dominate the show. Yeah. Well, there's an aspect of human nature too that I think says, um, and and I think we saw this in the most recent this recent episode. You know, they are doing things like they're building, they're building uh, shelters, and they're they're getting themselves ready, accumulating water. They can make a right. torch. You know, they they've started to do that. So I, I like to see that kind of stuff. And I guess it's inevitable that we're going to see, especially on the CW, this kind of uh, relationship focus. And personally, I could I could sooner do without it. I would really like to see more about, like you say, the whole Lord of the Flies thing. How does this civilization rebuild itself? And right. does it seem a little bit odd that they, we would say, we're going to take 100 teenagers and we're going to throw them at the earth and see what happens? Wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense to send a couple adults along? Shouldn't well, there really be some sort of basic command, like a, not command structure, but some sort of, you know, maybe send five or six leadership people, maybe some adults to help keep these kids focused? I really don't think they thought they were going to survive. I feel like that's why they they said you're the most expendable of our population. So oh, we're going to send see. you. We're going to and, and to me like that that aspect of the politics, which I don't know how far along or how much they'll develop. Um, that was what was always most interesting because a you're sending these people down there because you don't know if they'll survive the landing, and then when they get down there, you don't know if they'll survive the radiation, and then if there's no radiation left. You don't know what, if they'll survive because of – well, they crash-landed in the wrong area and didn't get to the camp they were supposed to get to. But again, because now they're just set free. And it, it seems like they're testing the waters by using these kids as guinea pigs. And at what point do these kids say, we need to stop fighting each other and fight the people that have treated us this way? I see. Um, I see. And I don't know how much of that latter point they'll actually do, especially now that they have, they've, they're encountering – the fact that there are people that have been living on Earth for years. But I feel like if the show is smart and wants to be about something on a deeper level, that it really should tie into the, you know, the people that went up to that arc 100 years ago left people on Earth behind. Maybe they left them on Earth because they deemed they weren't worthy of survival. But now we are 100 years later and people have survived. And what does that do? Because now they've got a grudge against these other people because they've heard the stories for generations that they thought they were the best and they thought we were down here to die in the radiation and we didn't. That would and be interesting to tell. That, and I'm creating a show in, in my head that they may never <laughs> give me. But... <laughs> But to me, that type of, you know, that type of interpersonal conflict and, and we see already on the arc that they, they're up there and they think that they're better than each other up there. So clearly they think they're better than the people on the ground. That whole, you know, who's right and maybe it's not about anybody being right. It's about learning to live with each other the way that 
every dystopian young adult novel from the 80s to now has done that aspect of, you know, a part of society seg- has segregated itself or society fell apart so bad that we've segregated ourselves by different factions or different whatevers, whatever the particular story calls it, that it feels like it's like, it's that again here. But because the people that are in charge are the adults on a CW show, I don't think we're going to see a lot of it. And I'm hoping that they find a way to tie it in so that we can see it because to me, that's what makes it not just another, you know, survival story with a romance twist. To me, that's kind of what makes it a much more evolved, interesting series. I'm curious to see, too, how they're going to play this thing out with Raven and Abigail. And I, I found it oh. a little a little <laughs> irritating to watch and, and saying, OK, well, here's this woman who wants to get down to the surface because she's just found that the Clark's bracelet is, has stopped transmitting. So she doesn't know if she's dead or alive. And she's willing right. to put her life and Raven's life into this rickety old uh, – thing and well, you know, she's willing to do it too i mean and oddly that goes back to the crisis point of what would you do for your child like <laughs> the fact that this woman is willing to say i know the risk and we i know what i sent my child to and i'm i'm actually willing to put my money where my mouth is and go after her whereas the chancellor never would have done that yeah that's true that's true but i found it a little bit difficult to think that the mother wants to go help her child but she's going to put her life into this rickety yeah. old escape pod and and then a, a a faulty pressure regulator and you know what entering earth's atmosphere is a pretty tricky thing and <laughs> i think that, i i think to ask i think to ask raven to get that ship ready to go how long is it going to take to get this thing ready 20 minutes we don't have that kind of time oh yeah I we have mean, to launch right listen. now Clearly, no one in the right is a scientist. So Clearly, that we just have to say. I mean, like the, with these shows, I, I don't know. I mean, yes, that is absolutely ridiculous, and yes, it just served as a plot point to get Raven on Earth to push forward some of the high school drama we just said we didn't <laughs> like. Yeah, but I expected it from the show because it fits that formula, and so it didn't bother me as much because I went into it saying, okay. A, you have to suspend disbelief and you know you do, but also B, like you know what the show is because of the brand and if you don't want to watch it, then don't watch it. But don't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I kind of felt like I couldn't get too mad at something that I knew it was going to give me. That makes sense and I think you kind of have to know what you're banking on going in. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think I think though from the beginning – and and what we've seen is they're still they're giving you enough of you know the politics and the adults on the arc. It's you know that's not necessarily you know like a small portion of an episode. Mm. Uh, you know it, it's it's you know it's a pretty sizable part of the show. I think they're they're doing a good job of of giving you both. And through the first six episodes, I'm still as interested in it as I was from watching the pilot. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on uh, with it. It was of all the new CW shows for this year, it was my favorite. You know, just based on the pilot. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad to see that it sort of held my interest and hasn't, uh, you know, fallen off as we've uh, gotten into the the actual season. I was doing a little bit of reading earlier, and and the the idea that. The 100 is a CW show. I thought, well, I don't really know a whole lot about the CW, so I went and did a bit of research. And so apparently, the CW is a combination of CBS and Warner. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Now, do they have an agenda? Is that part of their 
um, their programming schedule to target their programming toward the the teenagers or or the oh, younger yeah. people? They're- Is it really okay? At first, it was the female. Their goal was like, uh, what was it, like thirteen to no thirty four female. Their goal was always 18, uh, eight, like 18 to 34 female when yeah. the network launched. Because the network launched um, when the WB and UPN failed. Those networks combined to be created the CW. So it was kind of um, the demographics of the previous networks. But their actual median age is like 41-year-old and female. So every pilot season, they they are looking at product uh, projects that – will diversify that median age. So they, so to me, what that means is a lot of the stuff that I read feels like it skews younger in order to offset. Um, oddly enough, these days there seem to be skewing much more male than they used to be. It seems like it's intentional. No, they haven't, they don't necessarily talk about it very often, but, uh, a lot of the, you know, like from the arrow to, from arrow to the flash, even the tomorrow people, um, it, it's they are they are diversifying they are changing slightly what they're they're trying to be much more of a contender um because you know we we hear at TCA somebody at the last TCA actually asked Mark Pedowitz how are you even still a network because their <laughs> I mean their numbers are not great and so they they are they they do things that like picking up backpackers for example from the CWC as an online platform, making it a pilot, they're they're trying things to make themselves make more of a mark. I don't. I the the odd thing is I don't really know where the hundred necessarily fits in and in saying all of those things because where it, what it should be attracting the audience it should be attracting is not necessarily their target audience right now. Who do you think they should be going after? The network as a whole. Uh, this particular show. Oh, well, this particular show, to me, skews very young. So when I say that it's not necessarily what the network should be after, the network is looking for 18 to 34. To me, this skews much more high school on the mm-hmm. lower, you know, the lower 18 end. Um, and that's also partially just because it is new and because themes of the show, the political themes and the, and the sociological themes, maybe it'll change. Maybe they're easing people in. But like Starcrossed, which launched this uh, midseason, like the hundred launched this midseason, Starcrossed came out of the gate, banging you over the head with a message. And so just it, yes, it had the young romance, and that made the show feel like it was going to skew younger. But you sat down to watch an episode after the pilot, and you realized, oh, they, they have something to say here, and maybe it's not working for me, but it's it's definitely trying to be something more than just another high school dramatic love triangle show oh gotcha because i was kind of wondering based on the commercials that i was watching i figure you can always get a sense of what demographic they're going after by the type of commercials you're watching oh, yeah yeah and that's just more, i mean honestly i feel like sometimes the marketing and and the advertisements do the show's disservices yeah. they, <laughs> sometimes they, you know for the audience that they feel they are lacking currently, but not necessarily the audience the show was picked up to be for. So they don't necessarily show you what the show actually is. They're just picking out the highlighted moments for this particular age group or this particular demographic, you know, whatever, regionally or whatever. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen a commercial in a very long time. Well, for me, for me, the commercials for the hundred were some of the worst 
because they spoiled everything that was great about the pilot. Oh, that's true. In I the remember ad. that trailer. Yeah, the, with the but they did and they didn't because like that whole Jasper getting an arrow thing didn't stick. He didn't get killed. It wasn't that. It was it was that they had her line. Uh, We're not alone. Oh, in, right. In I the forgot. trailer, and that's like the end of you know. That's like, I totally forgot about that's that. That's like yeah. way at the end of the pilot, and you're just like, uh, that's a big reveal. Uh, and so, you know that they're not alone on the planet, uh, and to give that away in the in a thirty second commercial for the the show just seemed like that was that was too much for me. I was just like, really, you gave away like much of the big twists that come just in your ad. Uh, all the things that I enjoyed about the show long before they ever started advertising it, you know, type right. of thing. All right, I think that's enough about the hundred, and that'll do it for the uh, primetime segment. And next up. TV recommendations. Uh, I was going to go a different direction, but I watched the last six episodes of uh, Warehouse 13 last yesterday, and uh, so I wanted to recommend uh, Warehouse 13. If you've you know been a fan of the show, they do a really good job of closing it out in the final six. The fourth episode where they get uh, transported into a telenovela is my favorite. That uh, <laughs> was outstanding, but. As a whole, Warehouse 13, if you like your sci-fi with a, you know, more on the comedic side, uh, something like a Eureka, but you never tried out Warehouse 13, you should go back and give it a try. It's a fun show. How many, uh, how many seasons? Uh, this is, this is its fifth season. The final season is the fifth season of six episodes, but the previous seasons are all, you know, like 13 to 16 episodes, I think, or something. So it's not like... Uh, in that five seasons, it's not like there's hundreds of episodes. Okay. Uh, to, okay. To to go back and watch, but yeah, if uh, you know, if you like your procedurals more like Psych or Monk or something like that, you know, if you like a lot of more of the comedic uh, pop culture referency type of thing, you know, like a Eureka uh, in your sci-fi, then uh, you should give Warehouse Thirteen a try. I've heard some people talk really highly of it, and it's. I'm kind of thinking about the next thing that I want to watch, and I always like getting references from people because I, I think if you if you hear enough people talk about a show, after a while you'll get a sense that there are some that really should be tried. And I've heard good things about Warehouse 13. It seems like one that I may want to give a spin. Yeah, I I, I recommend it. I I really I really have liked it. I I like. I tend to really like. You know things that fall into the action comedy or or that type of thing that have, but they they do. While there is sort of the mission of the week of tracking down the latest artifact, they do a lot of interesting. Over the course of the series, they've done some interesting character work uh, with the growth of of these characters and some that get added in as they go along. And I, I just. Uh, a lot like Eureka, I I just really liked the show from the beginning, and it sort of hit uh, all those things that I like, you know, sci-fi, comedy, and getting action, and, you know, good characters, and uh, quite enjoyable. Is that available on uh, Netflix, do you know? I'm not sure if it is. I think there's some uh, episodes out there. I'll have to, I'll have to look, but uh, in the show notes, we'll have uh, I'll have links to where various places you can find past episodes and and uh and stuff of that of that nature great and uh next up danielle what did uh what would you like to recommend well the new season of nurse jackie starts uh april 13th on showtime and that is a huge huge season um it's a favorite show of mine but it's a it's a big show a big season for 
the show in general. Um, they nurse uh, Jackie's character all along has has been an addict. She's been a very functional addict, working as a nurse. And um, with the exception of last season, we saw her pretty much always being that functional addict. And then last season, she got sober. And at the very end of the season, she threw it all away um, on her year anniversary of being sober. And this is the first season where we really see somebody spiral as an addict and see, you know, you, you could always root for Jackie before because you, you always kind of felt like she's not that bad. Like she does a lot of good in her job. She tries with her family. She just happens to have this addiction and it, and it is a disease. And so to a degree, you kind of, I think can cut her a lot of slack. And this is the first season where you start to realize just how in the disease she actually is. And that it's not really functional. So it's, but I've seen the whole season and it's really strong. And there's also just some great guest stars. Uh, Laura Benanti comes in, uh, Julie White comes in and they were, they're two of my favorites in general. And they both have uh, really phenomenal roles on, on this current season. So I think that people should definitely check that one out. I've got a friend in Calgary who loves Nurse Jackie, speaks very highly of it. Um, how many seasons has have they done so far? This is six. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, so it's a season six premiere. And it's been picked up for a seventh. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, it's it hasn't even aired this season yet. And so going into this season, knowing that there will be another year after it, I think uh, you kind of start to watch the show with the wheels turning of like where this can all go in a longer term scenario. Um, and it, it does, it ends in a way that to me didn't necessarily feel like a massive cliffhanger, but it did end in a way that could be game changing for the character. I can't, I, I can't remember. Do they do 10 or 12 episode seasons? Twelve. it's 12 and it's half hour. It's, it's a comedy, even though there are some, again, like shameless <laughs> dark stuff in the show, but it's, it's a 12 episode comedy. It's airing um, on Sunday nights paired with the final season of Californication. Oh, so it's a little bit like uh, Shameless. Well, I mean, I just I say that in the sense that it's a dark comedy, but it's mm. it's much more of a comedy than I partic- I personally find Shameless. I I put Shameless more in a dramatic category with comedy elements, whereas Nurse Jackie, there's a dark heroine at the center of the show, but it's it's much more of there's a lot of funny instances happening around her. Yeah, oh, Nurse Jackie is more one of those shows that it gets p- more put into the comedy aspect because it's a half hour. Yeah, but also, I mean, there's more quirkiness to it, yeah. I think. You know, like you've got Coop. And, and But there's lots of shows that get sort of pigeonholed as being called a comedy, but they just happen to be half hour shows that uh, you yeah. know play on like HBO or whatever. I would say this one definitely does lean more towards actually being a comedy I'd say Nurse Jackie is like a comedy with uh, dramatic elements, yes. uh, sort of as shameless as a dr- drama with comedic elements. You know, something like a, a Veep on uh, on HBO. That's more like straight Great. comedy, <laughs> uh, and and so you know, it's the the half hour comedies on the premium network sort of run the gamut of mm-hmm. actually being a comedy to being more of just like a short drama from week mm-hmm. to week. Definitely. And was that the only thing you had? Right. Sorry. Uh, also, I, I, this is, I mean, this is odd because it's a TV podcast, but I, I wanted to recommend uh, Carol Liefer's new book. It's called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Crying. And she's a, she's a TV writer and a comedian. Uh, she wrote for Seinfeld for years. She had a show called All Right Already, 
that only lasted a season. Um, she's she wor- she's written for the Ellen Show, the Oscars, do- tons of stuff. And this particular book, um, it's kind of part memoir, part advice guide for people who want to be not specifically comedians, but who maybe want to get into entertainment. Um, she uses a lot of her own personal stories and anecdotes, but every every chapter kind of has this message of literally how to succeed, you know, things that you do's and don'ts and things to keep in mind, especially in this crazy entertainment business with tons of big personalities, um, how to kind of get yourself out there. And uh, it's it's a pretty quick read, honestly. It's it's I read it in about two hours, but it's got some fun photos from her, her life and adventures. And it's... Um, it's a follow-up to her previous book, which was much more of a memoir. So this one is a little bit less about here's my life and why I wanted to be a comedian and how I grew up. And it kind of just jump puts you in the center of, of the story and, and uh, her journey and talks about the jobs that she's had and some of the uh, people she's met along the way. Would it be good for a person who's uh, a, an aspiring writer? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she's got a section. I mean, she's got some stuff in there that it feels kind of odd to say that it's it's in a book in 2014 because it feels almost like stuff you should know. But she writes in a in a funny way and a very relatable way that makes it interesting. Uh, for example, she has a, a chapter who about things to do or not do on a job interview. And oh. she uses her own examples and her own failings. And she talks, for example, she talks about accidentally well not accidentally she took it on purpose she stole a soda out of Aaron Spelling's fridge and thought like that's not a big deal right I'm here for a pitch meeting I'm gonna take a soda you know thinks the pitch goes well and then gets a call from her agent that's like what the hell happened over there he's furious type of thing because she took a soda out of a perfect fridge so like it's some of it is is her personal stories and anecdotes and then some of it is a little bit of the behind the scenes of the business. Um, and she, you know, she talks about her working on Seinfeld and how you pitch, pitch yourself as a writer and how you pitch stories and how you would do it in different writers rooms, how Seinfeld was different from, uh, her own pilot that she wrote and from some other shows that she worked on. So it's specific, but at the same time, I mean, if you're interested in, in comedy or you're interested in the entertainment business, it's really a nice like peek behind the curtain. And from somebody who's actually been there. Yeah. And someone who's successful and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, you may not recognize her if you saw her walking down the street, but she's had decades long career and has worked on some really top shows. Yeah, de- definitely, definitely has. And, uh, if you're one that would more like to listen, say like to this podcast, uh, <laughs> and would rather listen to the book, you can you can go to uh, tvtimes3.com/audible and sign up for a free month and choose Carol Leifer's book as your free download, and you can listen to it read by the author. Oh, good uh, idea, Rim. What is your uh, recommendation? My recommendation is a, an app that I used to have when I was back in the Apple days. It's the Game of Thrones Companion. Now, there's uh, several apps if you go to the iTunes store. And this one in particular, you'll notice it's um, it's got a kind of a gold crown on the front. Very simple, black background. It says Game of Thrones Companion. What I really like about this one is it, it takes into consideration 
the information that you have going in. And initially, it asks you how many books of the season you've read or of the series you've read. So if I only read the first two books, it'll only show me information and characters related to those two first books. It doesn't spoil anything. And then if I go ahead and read the third and fourth book, I can make the setting change in the app to say, yep, I've read up to book four. Then it'll unlock all the characters and information from the first four books. So this is a, a great way to get information about Game of Thrones, regardless of where you are in the series. And it's in the Apple iTunes store. I'm really kind of sad because I went from Apple devices to Android devices last year, and there doesn't seem to be an Android version of this. But I think you- they have. I think they have added. Uh, I looked. Oh, really? Yes. I, I looked uh, to see when I saw that you mentioned that it was an iPhone app but to see if there was an Android version available, and I believe so. There is now uh, – it is available for Android as well. Oh, super. I'll go have a look because, you know, when I went to Android, I was kind of sad because I lost this app. And now that we have Game of Thrones back, this is this is a great, uh, a great application because it gives you maps of the entire Westeros region. It goes through all of the characters. You can get histories of the families, um, all of the religions. It's a really great background piece to be able to give you more of the history of the characters of Game of Thrones. So this way, when they throw out a name like uh, Tywin Lannister, you can say, Oh, if I don't know who Tywin is, I can go read up on him and find out his connection with the Lannister family. And it's it's a great way to learn about the characters if you've uh, if you sort of watch the show once through. And if you're into the new season, this is a, a good way to sort of get you up to speed with who's who. Because with a show like this, there are a lot of characters, and an app like this is is pretty handy. It's only two ninety nine. I think you can get it in the App Store. I have no affiliation, of course. It's uh, two ninety nine. Well worth buying. The Game of Thrones Companion. It sounded interesting, especially the uh, the idea of the maps. That yeah. seemed like would be really handy to have when they're like talking about where this set of characters is, especially like when you're watching the show and you could get like a, a visual of where that is in relationship to like King's Landing and and various stuff. Because while they do have that interesting opening uh, sequence that shows you a map, it's hard to keep that straight in your head when it goes into the show. Mm. Precisely when when the Hound and Arya are heading to the Eyrie. You know, you can say that, but hey, I could really use a map to show me exactly where that is. Yeah, where's and- that in relationship to where other people are? And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that that could definitely be uh, come in handy right there. Yeah, and I liked I liked that it uh, made sure that you told the app where you were in the story, so you weren't spoiled on stuff that went on later. So I thought that was pretty smart that it would I only if unlock. They've added that as I wonder if they're because I saw some of the reviews said that it was. A great for whether you read the books or uh, watch the TV show. I wonder if they've added something to uh, – that'd be interesting to find out uh, if they've done it based on – if you're like a show watcher, they could – it unlocks information only for characters you found out about in the show and things like that. Yeah, that's a good question because there are some differences now between the books and the and the TV show. So it's something that they'll probably have to consider if they haven't already. Yeah, especially going forward where it's likely that they're going to be combining uh, books four and five events into the next couple seasons since those two books have, from what I understand, a lot of characters uh, doing things that happen at the same time. Yeah, it seems to be a a concurrent Uh, storyline. But yeah, so like you read book four and a whole bunch of people disappear and then you find out what those people were doing during the same time frame by reading book five. 
Yeah, uh, which yeah. you can't really do, uh, which would be really poorly to do in on the TV show if all of a sudden a bunch of people that you've been watching disappeared and then came back in the next season <laughs> and they told you, oh, this is taking place back when – talk about a show that's already hard to keep a track of. Uh, that- yeah, that's a good point actually and that's that's a really big consideration. And if it was just the mo- just the books, would have been really easy. But I, I could see how now with the, with the TV show, they're probably going to have to say, OK, are you watching just the TV show or are you watching the movies? OK. Which season have you seen and which books have you read? And, you know, I could see how you'd have to, you know, maybe put that information in and then and then it will give you just the information that you've reached so far this way. You're not spoiled on stuff that's going to come later. Yeah, that's definitely how they should do it. Yeah, that yeah. sounds interesting. And for me, it sounds interesting just for the maps. I, I just <laughs> you need just a, a map to be able to follow uh, while I'm watching the show. Yeah, it certainly is. It's only about three bucks. Some people don't like spending anything on apps, but I this for me this was this was three bucks well spent. And but you know it does cost to produce these things, folks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is true. And with that, we'll have links to uh, all where you can find all of those recommendations, uh, as well as the news stories we talked about uh, in the show notes and also where you can find uh, Danielle and Rim online and. Uh, Rim's podcast in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 222. There you can also drop us a line in the comments and let us know what you thought, what you think about some of the shows uh, we talked about. Are you losing interest in Resurrection? Is is the crisis over for you? <laughs> did you enjoy season four of Shameless? What did you think about the tie-in of where things are with the uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the movie universe? You know, are you still watching the hundred? Let us know about the those things uh, in the comments, or you know, drop us an email via feedback at tvtimes three dot com. And uh, next week, uh, Amory and Ray will be back with me, and we'll have a whole new selection of uh, shows to talk about. And with that, we'll close with the opening and closing music, is provided by IODA Promonet. The song is "TV Party" by the Asylum Street Spankers from their Mercurial title, put out by Yellow Dog Records. And uh, once again, thanks, uh, Danielle and Rim, for uh, joining me on episode 222. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Danielle. Had a lot of fun talking about it. Same here. We sit glued to the TV set all night. And every night. Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright. We got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews.